Hello. Hello. And welcome. To the bathroom? To the soon to be... <laughs> to soon to be Patreon-supported dad and sons. If you'd like to support the show and contribute to some new segments, we're going to be rolling out a Patreon soon. I want to say it's July 3rd. We'll start up some new spin-off shows like Dungeons and Dads. And we'll be doing more streaming episodes, taking listener calls live on air. And a new segment where I'm going to try and teach you game design. And a big <laughs> fan discord for everyone to chat and play video games with us oh god i hope it turns out okay Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Dad and Sons podcast. Depending on how much I can get my shit together this week, I didn't. You may or may not be hearing this after the launch of a um, particularly patriarchal attempt at crowdfunding. Actually, that's happening next week. They're delays. Joining us here for this week is Gerard, the completionist. Gerard Khalil, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I haven't gotten up this early in quite some time, but that's okay. I think that's just... <laughs> oh, <face>. boy. <laughs> I actually oh, forgot that Gerard you, is on the same time zone as Matt. Yeah. Well, that. So, sorry about that, Gerard. <laughs> Matt, you no, used it's, it. You, you, can all, you can tell by Gerard's face. He's just like, fuck. <laughs> Why did I agree? <laughs> so, so also at 7 a.m. in the morning in California is Matt Visual. Hola. Almost nice. And from, from like what, 11 at night or 10 at night? I don't know. You guys don't have daylight 11, savings time. So 12. It, the math changes as the years go on. From from yeah. way late at night is Liam Edwards from from Japan. Indeed. You're distracting me. I'm trying to watch the Smash Direct, and the only reason I turned up is because I heard Gerard was going to be here, so. <laughs> so that's the only reason I'm here. Otherwise, I'd be with Sakurai. He's in the corner of my, he's in the corner of my eye, so. So so now might be as, as good a time as any to explain that the very, very unflattering dad secret that this shit is actually recorded at 7 a.m. in California, and I felt bad about that since day one. <laughs> we, we've never talked about it. We've never talked about the time difference. We used to do a different a time before, though, right? It was like 8 a.m.? Yeah, but it was like bad for you. <laughs> it, it was, was like, like it was nice... like midnight, and then when the times change, it'd be like one a.m. Yeah, and yeah. I got <laughs> I got stuff to do. <laughs> I got sleeping yeah. to try. <laughs> I'm already bad yeah. enough as it is. I don't need any more encouragement. Oh, oh, oh! That's what we we swapped off. It was bad for you before, and now it's bad for me for like a year or something. Now it's like, like that. that's middle what bad for me because we finish it like two a.m. It's still usually. bad. <laughs> but it, 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 yeah. yeah, for George, it's perfect because it's George's show. So what the hell would anybody expect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck the man. And I've felt bad about that since day one. <laughs> and we've never changed it. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
So speaking of times changing, nice segue. It's <laughs> a great yeah, segue. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, there for what's that. The segue for wanted 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 to thank you again for for joining us again, Gerard, and and have a little talk about our. I wanted to have a little talk about our experience as uh, YouTubers who have been doing this for a really long time. <laughs> oh, this is great. That means I get more seconds direct. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> cheers, guys. <laughs> what? Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll all have some some nibbles and giblets that we can throw into the conversation. I basically, I think, I think, I think I'm super interested to hear how, because um, George, you work at home. Right? Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, George, you do work at home, but you used to rent out, or you still do, some sort of workspace at an office in an attempt to be more productive than you actually. And are. then the the coronavirus happened, and I haven't been to the office in two months. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, Gerard doesn't work at home. Gerard has an entire staffed office and has been doing that for a, for a fairly long while. Kudos to him. And 2020 has kicked everybody who had an office in the ass. I'm very intrigued to see how or hear how that 2020 has affected the YouTubers who don't necessarily work at home. Yeah. Are you, are you still going to the office or keeping everyone at home? So when... So Los Angeles kind of invoked a in the beginning it was pretty soft but now it's pretty pretty big about uh just the overall aspects of leaving your home mm-hmm. and so in the office we we had to technically close the doors to any of the paying tenants you know other YouTubers and streamers who who share the space with us as well as I could not allow employees to come to the office either um but as the owner of the building, uh, I am able to still go in whenever I want. So I I still find myself going into the office at least once or twice a week just to want to get out of the house. Just because being cooped at home just is a lot. What are the plants? And <laughs> most, yeah, if, I mean, most of it is, is, is like getting the mail, making sure that I've got all of the missed package slips, if I have to go to the post office, things like that. Uh, but when I go to the office nowadays, it's it's mostly to, to film any kind of live action segments for the show or uh, if I have a meeting that is going to go on for a long time, I want to be able to look presentable and ready to go as opposed to just, you know, being in my house. Because my girlfriend and I share an office, so whenever I do a podcast or an interview or anything, she's in the background half the time. So uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it at the end of the day, it hasn't it hasn't been too crazy, but you know, I still get to go out every now and then, which has been fun. In any case, uh, moving from from bedroom to office and then getting kicked back to bedroom again because of the pandemic <laughs> is is a hell of an adventure. In and of itself, 2020 has been nuts, but you have been doing this for almost a decade now. You've started since 2011, uh. and that is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to be hitting, hitting that soon. It's weird to think about, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like way back when we were starting, did, did we know it would last this long? It's so strange to be doing this, having watched Gerard personally since before I'd moved to Japan. And even then, when I moved to Japan, was only the first time I started watching George. So actually, I've known Gerard longer than the two of you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Same, actually. Across that whole span of time, what do you think is the biggest change that has happened to the YouTube platform over the whole nine-year span? The biggest change that I... Maybe this is a hot take or a, a, 
a thing that's not real, but it's, it's more about how I feel. Feelings versus facts, I guess, if you will, is uh, totally valid. I feel that the platform has changed in such a way that it's no longer about the content or the personality. It's about feeding the schedule algorithm that we've all created for ourselves. And the platform is is no longer a place where it's designed to empower the creator. It's designed to chew the creator and spit them out. And the creator has very few moments to be able to fight back and and capitalize off of the failure or success of that day's algorithmic choices. So, you know, you could tomorrow release a video and you get a million views and feel wonderful about it and feel empowered and think to yourself, this is the end for me in terms of like the struggle. I'm going to create a business. I'm going to have employees like I'm going to be like these other YouTubers I watch and, and streamers I watch and just have the success come. And the next day you release a video and it gets 1000 views and you start to have this existential crisis of why me? Why does everyone hate me? Where did all these peers go? Why does no one watch my content anymore? And, and you know, all the money that's just kind of in between all of that changes how you think and feel about everything. And, you know, I, a common thread I see with people complain about early YouTube is like, man, I wish when the YouTubers weren't so hungry for money and used to be about the content. And it's the truth of it is that it's always been about the content. It's always been the content will, is king in that it'll take us to the promised land of being able to create and create and create and expand and hopefully have a business someday. But that lie only exists for those who sacrifice their well-being to the companies. And that is such a hard thing to gamble. I gambled on it and I and and it worked for me. But the only reason why it worked for me is because I made sure that everything else in my life was unimportant. You know, I've you mm. know, I've almost been doing this for ten years and for ten years I've missed every birthday of every nephew and niece I've ever had. I've missed every wedding of my friends. I have missed every major event that has taken place in my life. And I changed my life fundamentally to make sure that my life revolves around YouTube and the social climate around that business. And for better or for worse, I've sacrificed a lot that looking back, um, I wish I didn't. But I have to thank that sacrifice because if I didn't make those choices, I wouldn't be here. Right. So it's a very large double-edged sword. Do you feel, do you feel like, uh, as time has gone on, considering you started like 10 years ago and obviously we talk about the early doors and days of YouTube where there was quite a click. And if you were in that click, you got promoted or cross promoted, mm -hmm. you know, with normal boots and all those guys that were going on as time has gone on with YouTube expanding, do you feel like a saturation of curators and stuff like that doesn't help at all the number or is it more to do with the algorithm than it is the fact that now we have just, you know, N times how many creators there was 10 years ago. Um, and now it's more important about fostering a community who stays with you through places like Patreon and stuff like that. How, how does it balance out? Cause it's like, I feel, I, I hear a lot. I, obviously I don't do YouTube, but I hear a lot about, you know, the algorithm and all this kind of stuff and like how we're fighting against the algorithm. And it always feels like the people who, like I take Danny O'Dwyer, for example, who's a good friend, like, you know, his no clip community, you see his Patreon's massive, right? And the, the videos still though, they get like, you know, what a third of what you would do maybe. 
Uh, because they're very niche, they're very documentary, they're not exactly like YouTube busting, they're like an hour long, all this kind of thing. And it's obvious that his success is built on that community. Is that like kind of the way forward in these things? And that, you know, with saturation means you have to carve out that nice slice of the pie in terms of getting people to just stick with you for a long time. Wow. I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Is mm. is what what is the priority of, of a YouTuber's intent to grow a business? Is it to grow a community? Is it to raise money for charity all the time? Is it to, uh, f- you know, believe that your community will just hand over fist support you? And the truth of it is that, you know, a lot of the early YouTubers that I kind of started with and worked with, you you realize that a lot of them have changed fundamentally because um, they don't know what the they didn't know what the right answer was, and we've all kind of suffered for for trying to figure out what the best call was for at the time. So, for example, um, I was one of the first gaming YouTubers to do Patreon. And at the time I did Patreon, I was called a shill. Uh, people did not believe in Patreon. They thought it was really stupid. They thought that I was a, a part of a, of a perpetuating problem to to steal and take money from the fan base that's, that's, that's supported me. Um, I've been on Twitch for as long as I've been on YouTube. So I was doing charity streams in 20, 2012 and 2011. I was doing donations and and people thought that I was a part of this gross uh, movement to, to, to make money off of what I was trying to do. But the reality was is that the, the, the long and short of how YouTuber's career is dependent nowadays on so much more than just what is in their wallet. It's based off of a whole other array of of things like what is your viewer base like uh how many how many uh shirts did you sell how many plushies did you sell oh how God. many you know all all of the <sighs> microcosms of of making stressors yeah it's all but it's all stuff that no one cares about but the but the people creating it because that's where the money is you know i did youtube for free for almost three years for almost three years, I completed a game a week every week, and I went from zero subscribers to 125,000. And I was doing a million views, half a million views, 1.5 million views, where the money should have been coming in. But because of how the system was started at the time that it was started in, there was no true way to make money. And so, you know, it, it, it nowadays... It's not so much an algorithm. I don't think it depends on the algorithm. Your 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 audience can supercharge what you do, but really, what funds it all, in my opinion, nowadays is the, is the turnaround and controversies within the YouTube space and community. When people tell me, yeah, what is a YouTube? like when people say, like, man, I'm so proud of this community and what YouTube's done and what gaming has done. I tell them there is no community. YouTube is not a community platform. It, that, that is a lie. It is not a place to foster a yeah, community. They don't really have any community-based tools or, or when they've tried, it's been like just shit. You, you will find few people who are more adamant about not reading YouTube comments than YouTubers themselves. Like even in terms of purely cold, rational explanations, like there's more better community engagement to be had off-site than on YouTube itself. Especially, especially with the rise of things like Twitch, um, with Patreon, you know, uh, I just signed up for this recent 
uh, community tool called Community, which basically it's that uh, you guys may have seen big YouTubers like Philip DeFranco do it, where like you put a phone number in the background of your content, mm-hmm. and uh, your yeah. audience can call or text that phone number. Yeah, and it goes and it goes directly to the creator. Yeah, um, I've been doing that recently just to try it out, and it's been a really interesting time because uh, <laughs> everyone's been super respectful, and it's just a matter really? of. Yeah, people. <laughs> well, we, we did that. I can imagine just getting a text in the middle of the night, being like, "Hey, fuckface, hated <laughs> the recent video," and you're like, "Oh, for fuck's sakes, why did I ever do this?" Didn't. Problem with it is that you have to actually submit your personal information. So, like, I can see it's like a the users, phone, though, right? I mean. No, like if you if you have to if you contact me, I oh. know your phone number and your name. So it's like Whoa. if you try oh, and, and troll no. me, I can be like, "Well, that's not very nice of you, Brian Johnson from Minnesota." Like, what the, <laughs> what the fuck? This is um, this is like another here's my list of patrons. Here's the list of people who trolled me and their address this week. <laughs> this is another incredibly creepy step. Speaking about how like the past ten years have looked like overall of people's real identities folding into their their internet identities um yeah yeah, the old people are all on facebook now Uh, websites want your phone number all the damn time i had to give activision my phone number to play (laughs) call of duty Warzone a few days ago and and (laughs) i mean i'm for 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 all the gripes that that whole problem has i i feel like it's a little Guilty. It makes me feel like it's a first world problem I'm complaining about for the kind of identity crisis, though, that YouTubers have. Like you were talking earlier about how how much this stresses um, showing up for, for birthdays for things like nieces and nephews. Having to be on the clock on your own schedule all the time is 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 nuts in terms of where you compartmentalize the stuff in your brain. So I I also wanted to ask how you manage that, how you separate your personal identity from your YouTube identity, and also what keeps you sane out in the world besides I, yeah, besides I this. <laughs> what, what what fuels you? What keeps you going? Is it the games? Because seriously, that is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's so much to unpack there. Um, well, I'll start with what fuels me. And and it's and it's gonna sound really cliche, and it's gonna sound like someone in a YouTube rewind video, but the reason why I keep doing what I'm doing is because a few things. The first thing is the community. I think I think I have been around long enough to know that my loyalist of fans are buying shirts, are going to my conventions, are going to the live shows, are subscribing on Twitch, are are showing up whenever I ask for questions or feedback. It's the same few thousand usernames recognized every week. And these are real people with real jobs, with real lives, who actively engage with what I create. And um, if there's anything I've learned in the last in the last few years more recently is that, uh, you know, in, when I started this, my goal was to, was to really, my personal selfish goal was to... Be someone that everyone in the community recognized. You know, whether it's it's from the channel logo, from the content. I wanted to be a pillar of support that that new YouTubers and old YouTubers can turn to to watch and support and and really help people out. But what I learned early on in my career was that there were a lot of young YouTubers who just judged 
me so much along the way and judged everyone else um, around me in that same way. And it's been a difficult time to 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 ingest that, right? I you know, when when people look at other content creators uh in my inner circle, I, I feel like I'm always the one that gets pushed to the wayside. I feel like a lot of my, my name gets buried because it's like everyone's nostalgic or thinks and has this like weird like top ten YouTuber video gamer reviewer list in their minds. And I've always been at the bottom or outside of that echelon of, of support and it's just made me um, disenfranchised to to how I, I I view view the community stuff, so I I, I changed that because uh, it was imposter syndrome, and it still is. You know, to to want to be everyone's favorite YouTuber, to want to be the consistency in everyone's life, to want to be able to help everyone and support everyone, and in in, in reality, not feel that that was the case. And so I had a fundamental shift where I said I need to stop trying to support. The YouTube creators who don't care about me, the friends that I've made who have helped who who say bad things about me, the people who love to bury my career behind closed doors and just forget about them and focus on those people who come in every week and and try and make it feel like, you know, I'm a local sandwich shop that you love. And so every week you come in and I'm like, yo, here's your here's what you got, man. I got you, Brian from from Montana. Here's your 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 favorite episode and your favorite game. See you next week. Don't, you know, Come back. We got specials on on Wednesday on new stuff. I'll see you then. You know that's kind of the the fundamental approach that I've 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 tried to change. Um, just because you know you don't do this long enough. You you do this for so long, you don't know whether you're a friend or ally to anyone. And so the only person in the end that you really have to worry about is the people who got you here, which is mm-hmm. um, the people who watch me every week and. You know, whether I have a thousand subscribers or, or a million subscribers, it's never mattered to me. I, I, so, I tell everyone all the time that I would rather I would rather get ten thousand subscribers and ten thousand views for every video if that financially made sense. Even though that must mentally suck. Like mm-hmm. and no doubt mentally fucking suck. And obviously you've made a lot of videos about, you know, problems with YouTube and this kind of thing in the past and that mentally sucking. Does it does it actually, like, realistically take a hit on your actual YouTube statistics or your engagement across all the different platforms you do with all this, you know, shit that happens with other YouTubers or that kind of stuff? Is it just more of, like, a mental block than it is actually a statistical change or a financial change in the way the business? Well, I, th- I, th- I think... It comes down to, to, you know, this is not... I'm not trying to throw shit at any YouTubers out there, but I have to... I need an example to draw from to show parallels. In 2015, we saw a massive rise in what people would call reactionary YouTubers. And not like, hey guys, I'm watching today's or Aaron Eagle Raptors video on, on Zealous Equalitis, right? It's more like, hey, I'm a YouTuber and B and C YouTubers are fighting. So I'm going to make a video about why they're fighting. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I'm, yeah. Going to, yeah. I'm going to react to it. Yeah, it's, tra- it's drama to an extent. But. The financial responsibilities of uh, the, the the financial intricacies of what this type of content is built around is the idea of taking SEOable and YouTube relevant people and pitting them against each other. So if PewDiePie fights with Markiplier, you are literally telling the YouTube algorithm, take the number one most subscribed gaming YouTuber and take 
the number two best friend YouTuber friend of his, and they got into a fight, and that content gets supercharged, which means, boom, it's the, the streams cross, which means viewers on both sides watch it, which means the person who's making the content is 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 weaponizing their audiences against each other, and the end result is someone who presents facts or presents evidence of these transgressions to then cultivate an audience. And you're basically telling the peanut gallery, come to me and become my audience so that next week or next time we do a video, it's going to be someone else you love versus someone else you hate or someone else you both hate. You think, you think those, those, those uh, people who do that are, are grown men, like uh, the, the, the fans that are being weaponized? Do you think they're grown men or you think they're little kids? I think it's both. What are the numbers on that? Because I... <laughs> well, they'll lie about their age. Here's, here's the thing, though, Matt. Let's, let's think about it. <laughs> I, t- I told you this started in 2015. That was yeah. five years ago. So those oh, kids dude. who are now 14, 13 years old, are now 19, 20, 21, mm-hmm. going to college, yeah. mm-hmm. doing, doing stuff now. And what have they learned in the last five years? Fight other YouTubers. <laughs> to, to, to get their popcorn gifts ready. The popcorn gif is such a perfect encapsulation of it. So, so what you're telling me, Gerard, is that if we had a Patreon, for example, and the way we wanted to hype it is if I could get <laughs> Matt and George to fight each other, that would lead to... Success among like like a crowd of eighty people, maybe yeah, <laughs> but not Matt's magical one hundred. <laughs> it, it's it's funny. It's fu- oh man, I wish I had the picture uh, for you, Gerard. Um, because my roommate's an indie wrestler, right? I I saw you put out a video with Xavier Woods, and I was like, oh man, do you know Xavier Woods? And he was like, yeah, actually, <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, oh, I talked to him at uh, indie, uh, like indie wrestling show, and I asked him for a picture, and this is what he gave me. And the picture is uh, Xavier Woods next to my roommate, going like, like, <laughs> like <this. laughs> for for people who do not have visual representation. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll get the picture, and then I'm. <laughs> I'll it's Matt it. just pulling like the biggest like. Uh, how do you describe it? Like fan out? Like doesn't know what to do with his yeah, face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half dab. Is <laughs> it like right when he started? So he like hadn't met people or stuff like that? Maybe, maybe, maybe. No, not that anything. But I'm pretty sure it's my roommate being weird or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing bad for Xavier, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, t- I'm pretty sure um, I've I've been to the couple of the shows. Yeah, wrestling fans tend to be a little weird. I'm sorry, wrestling fans out there. Hey, <laughs> as, some of y'all as, are weird, as, man. <laughs> as someone who recently just got back into wrestling, and yeah. and and during this quarantine, like you know, people are like, I've I've taken up cooking, I've taken up working out, <laughs> stretching. My whole thing is I have dove back into the nostalgia of 80s and 90s wrestling and i've tried to indulge myself in the current culture of wrestling and it is night and day between both the audiences the wrestlers themselves the programming it's like oh it's a fascinating insight to those worlds both indie and professional and my brain's just been trying to soak it up like a sponge (laughs) i filmed a couple shows and let me tell you I have a new appreciation for it because holy hell to see those guys slam each other on the floor, I was like, 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that ring is not soft. <laughs> no, it's that not. That ring is not soft at no. all. <laughs> I, I was, he's like, oh, you want to go for a zoop? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to stand over here with the camera. You guys You've go been getting buff, Matt. Like, it's like the, nah, the time for you to. I'm good. I'm pretty you sure. bust out the sure. leotard and get ready. The, the gym's just opened again, man. I gotta, I gotta give me, come back in like four months. <laughs> four months, man. I'm I'm sorry, George. Did I answer your question appropriately? I'm I'm so sorry. I feel oh, like oh, yeah. no, no, absolutely. it's my job to derail. Uh, yeah. for happier. Yeah, we, we've been gloomy. Everything has has been been going to to the poorly thought out plans. Um, <laughs> but I just if. To, to bring, to bring I was going to say, because our sense of community, like going back to the community thing, our sense of community is one guy who asks us to review season two of Agaretsko every week. <laughs> and he's done it for an entire year. And we've still not answered it's this goal. I think it should be a stretch oh, goal. No. Perks okay, are okay, rewards. Ryan Gates, it now. Ryan Gates, wherever you are in well, this world. In any case, to, to bring... Answer. To, to bring to bring things back to to YouTube and, and making media about about video games for an audience of uh, people on the internet, um, a lot of that reactionary shock content that that you say cropped up in 2015, which is exactly when I would have remembered it too, is that stretch from 2014 turning into 2015 was the fucking worst, but. Um, it felt like a lot of YouTube content that became super duper popular became exploitive and schlocky, like a like a, a grindhouse '70s horror movie with some kind of super easy topics to to jab into and a kind of nasty, grimy, schlockily produced tone overheading all of it. Except in this case, the producer is an AI algorithm. Like it's not a human directing some kind of schlocky trash production so much as it's a very clear demonstration of what numbers drive people's decisions when when making the decisions that we do as as people right and i was just like how how does that fold into what how you consider yourself like how does your personal identity feel as a youtuber with that kind of baggage now that wasn't then back in 2012 and 2013 it's it feels so much harder for me to introduce myself as a youtuber now back then is this something you're feeling as well yeah you know something you asked me earlier was like how do i i think liam asked me this is like how how do i like personally fit into the content i create from a personal identity's perspective and i think that um i mean let me how do i phrase this I've always been the kind of guy that the content you see online and what I create is who I am in real life. That's always just been my jam. And it's hard to do that in a, in a show, in like a video game review show, right? Uh, I never wanted to make a YouTube review show about video games. That was not the intent of The Completionist. I chose a format to meet what I wanted to talk about in a way where I knew it would work. Because the only type of content that was working at that time was the boom of the game reviewer. Mm-hmm. You know, you had ABGN and and early Jontron and and PB, P, Peanut Butter Gamer and Angry Joe, and that was it. And so, you know, being friends with, with John and, and Austin so early on in my career, I had to go, how do I fit into this echelon of content that is different, that is new, that's exciting, that's fun? And so, you know, 
as a completionist, as someone who <laughs> ingests a lot of media from places like IGN and, and Kotaku and Polygon, uh, the thing that I kept singing was just no one was making content about the end game. No one was telling me the the value of my money to whether or not it was worth completing to spend it on. And so that was kind of my my attempt to 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 bridge that gap was I want to be able to tell people, hey, this game is worth sixty bucks. It is worth twenty bucks. It is the value that you think it is, or maybe it isn't. Um, and by the by the beginning of 2015, you know, I had my big fallout with Greg. Um, and and I per that my my connection to my audience died in 2015 when when the Greg stuff happened. Like my ability to to share myself out there in the open died with my audience in 2015. And I spent the better half of three years losing myself every day on the content that I would produce. I didn't know if people liked me. I didn't know if people hated me. I woke up in sweats thinking that people like Keemstar was going to make assassination pieces on me. I lost a lot of the friends that had trusted me, that had faith in me. Um, you know, it was this kind of thing where I felt like I was being irrelevant and pushed out and not welcomed by my, my, my community. But the reality was is that while I was feeling those things, my career in 2015 exploded overnight. My channel quadrupled in size. My retention grew. My audience grew. The content got better. People were enjoying what they were seeing. But my personal insight was so tainted with negativity Jeez. and grossness. Wow. I... That I had I had I had to fight every every insecurity for so long. I, I really that feel that, in, yeah. It wasn't until twenty seventeen when I finally put the Greg stuff to rest where I finally felt like I could breathe air again and be like, oh my gosh, I'm a creator. I I, I, I I, got out of this rut and, you know, with the introduction of New Game Plus and completing all those games again, I felt like I got to press a reset button and make the show I wanted to make and cultivate the community I wanted to create and and really do that. And it, it revitalized me. But um, at that point, how how do I keep going for as long as I can? And and the reality was I had to fight this imposter syndrome that I still fight today. That I think most creators like like George, I I, I know you feel it too. Yeah, a, imposter syndrome is so real. A and lot of what you just described are like bottled up thoughts. I I have not told anyone. You know, it's I'm sure we're all like that. We had a good what 15 minutes last episode on a question about this exact subject that we talked about. Yeah. And, you know, imposter syndrome is real no matter what you're uh, – if you're in any sort of creative field and we talked about it from the YouTube aspect and the filmmaking and also my game design aspect and that kind of thing. And then we had a, quite, uh, a few emails come in about people, you know, oh, this is what I've been feeling. Like I didn't really know how to describe like why I felt this way or why I was unable to do things because I was afraid I'd fail and and that kind of thing. And it is – it's like it's so fucking real. Yeah. And it never goes away. Like it, it gets smaller, maybe, and it niggles at you less so than it used to. Especially if you, maybe, if you've released a video and it's had like a million views or something, right? Maybe it'll go away for a week, or it'll, you know, or a month, or your Patreon skyrockets or whatever. And then right? The next one doesn't quite reach. And then it doesn't meet it. Like if you yeah. made a million, if you got a million, but then you got half a million. Half a million is fucking amazing, right? People kill, spend yeah. doing YouTube for ten years, spend the whole life trying to get five, uh, half a mil, but. Imposter syndrome doesn't work like that. Your expectations get askewed all the time. Your view of where you are in the whole 
ether of wherever the space is, whether you're a game creator or you're a, a you know a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer or whatever, and you know it's like a rocky boat that you go up and down on all the time, and it's really tough. Well, George, mm-hmm. I, George, I want to touch on something real quick, and I, I feel like I I owe you a very big apology because um, you know for those of you guys who don't know. Uh, Matt and George uh, used to host the, the the TOBG podcast that we created back in the day, Tough back that. when when we uh, you know when I was trying to create other brands within the, within our our company. Normal Boots went away, and I wanted to try and create something else. And I started working with creators, and before I could finish creating that, Hidden Block appeared, and so I once again imposter syndrome one hundred and one. I was like. Everyone hates me. I don't deserve the success I have. I have no friends. I am on an island. What do I do? And so with Alex Fasciani at my side and my brother who had recently kind of come in to help with the business, that's when we said, well, you already have a community. Let's just start that one videogamer.com and create a new community from the ground up that's centralized around your positive insightfulness of the community and hopefully bring creators in mind. And so that's why I reached out to you, George, because your content uh, is passionate. It's 100% quality. It aligns a lot with how I think and feel in the community. And it was something so powerful that I wanted to make sure that I used my voice to amplify you as best as I could. And 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 the same goes for, for Jordan underneath the time and, and Satchel and Kite Tales. And I wanted to try and do this. But... I realized hindsight being 2020, I didn't do a good job because as we said at the beginning of all of this, the rise of drama YouTubers, the rise of hit pieces, the rise of the culture changing, instead of me using my voice to embrace my brothers and sisters and help their careers, I hid like a coward because every day I thought I was going to be done with the career that I had been working on for five years. And in return, Everything I had built and created and worked on was being neglected. Things like the TOBG podcast, things like TOBG.com, things like being able to work with creators. And because of my silence, because of my non-actions, and because of my inability to rise to my own impossible standard that I impossibly created for myself, I let relationships and bridges burn and go unchecked. And, and it's something that's been inside of me, but I, I feel like, George, I never apologized to you and told you and really apologized and, 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 and never told you how much I appreciated the work that you and Matt put in into the podcast with Jimmy because you guys cared so much more than I did and the podcast was good and you guys put your blood, sweat, and tears in it and I, I, I never gave you guys the praise that you deserved and I, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry and I'm so glad that you guys have, you know, Dads and Sons podcast and, and that you guys are still doing your thing because, you know, I believe in you guys and what you're doing and and uh, we don't tell people that aspect enough. And yeah, I, just, I, had to, I had to get off my chest at some point. <laughs> oh, thank, thank, <laughs> th- 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 thank you very much. That is uh, quite, quite fuzzy and warm to, to hear. And of course, because of that reason, that is all why, why we are here today um, hosting it yes. with... Uh, I came along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't with... be here otherwise. <laughs> so I appreciate it, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wandering in the landscape. And, <laughs> and, and also with, with like half half a decade of experience behind um, 
me in terms of podcasting. Like I, I wouldn't know how to, how to set up a podcast and record it and, and put it out and, and create an outline that tries to steer this conversation towards interesting places as, as the hours yeah, go on without that. It works so, sometimes. <laughs> so thank you for helping, helping, uh, create an experience that butterfly affected into something that works sometimes. <laughs> well, hey man, you guys put in that work. I just, I, I just said, I just said, keep going. <laughs> so, so back, back, back on on YouTube drama. How? No. How? No. Enough. Stop. The man wants a break. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I don't. I don't. I don't actually talk about these things very often. Like this is as this you is as real. Oh, okay. You, I, this is as real as I get. I've because I've watched your videos. I've watched your videos and like you know, I know it weighs on you. So I didn't want to like just try. Mm. You know. Yeah. No, it's, it, good? It, it is okay. kind of. I, it's like that weird thing, right? Because we're doing this right now, but obviously Gerard, you and me spoke at Pax West last year. You know, we've had a few interactions. You know, physically, and and, and I ran into you at at Tokyo Game Show. Yeah. And, and then a couple of days later, I ran into you at at uh, at Super- Potato. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Liam is just like a quantum <laughs> object who who just appears at places other people happen to be, depending on whether or not they are being observed by him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm omnipotent. But so I, what I wanted to say was that, you know, it, it, it's weird because as Matt was saying, you know, alluding to when you're very personal on YouTube, as somebody who, you know, we spoke at PAX West and I said to you when I moved to Japan, you know, I was getting used to a different country. I just finished working at Rockstar, which had been, you know, by the end was a completely turbulent time. It really sucked. The only thing that really got me through was, you know, still this passion for games I had. And a lot of it came from, you know, absorbing a lot of YouTube channels and stuff like that. And when I moved to Japan, one of the things that gave me that home comfort of what I was, you know, what my life was kind of routinely like when I was back in the UK was watching, you know, a couple of my favorite YouTubers and getting into the games they're playing and all that kind of thing. And obviously, as I said to you, Pax Restless, yeah, I just binge watched all of the completionist episodes for like the first few months I was in Japan, just trying to relax any anxieties I had about, um, you know, living in a different country or getting used to a new life. And it was, uh, you know, really great for me. So as somebody who's, you know, seen you throughout those years and had some sort of, you know, not been in your community, but definitely watched your videos for a long time. When you open up on YouTube, like Matt was alluding to, it's really hard watch as somebody who, you know, likes you and supports your content and that kind of thing. And I imagine your community must, you know, feel sad for you and sort of want to help as well off the back of those videos. We, we joke, we joke in the office that I should just become someone who, who just (laughs) talks about how sad they are all the time because those videos do four times yeah. the views than oh, any that do broke. any like you ever seen like, a black mirror episode where that guy is constantly holding the knife? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. yeah yeah it's 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 definitely uh you know um i try really hard to choose my battles carefully on the platform because no one no one gives a shit or pays attention until you kick the beehive right like that's the thing that i've realized is that if if i'm not talking about it if i'm not being open and honest about it then no one cares but if i have to be like 
hey, this is a fucked up thing that's happening, and I feel like a crazy person because I feel like I'm the only one experiencing it. I make a video, it gets hundreds of thousands, if not a million or two views, and then the conversation just ends. Like, I didn't succeed in my goal to seek change, to seek enlightenment. the internet. All I did was I made my CPM rise for about three weeks. <laughs> and, I, and I fixed my algorithmic problem for like a month or two. And then I just go back to making videos again. And then I have to do it again. Now, I don't do that, obviously. Like, that's not like my, my game plan, right? I'm not like trying yeah. to do that. You're not making but, 12 sad videos a year. Yeah, it's kind of, I make one video probably every nine months that's like, I need to bear my soul because my therapist doesn't understand. My family doesn't understand. My, yeah. like, no one understands. And the only outlet I have is, is this camera and the audience. And I hope that you that you can understand where I'm coming from. And uh, the hardest part about making those videos is, I mean, this is a perfect segue back to what George just wanted to talk about, which is YouTube drama. Oh, was, I can't wait to get back to that. Which is, uh, I always <laughs> love, I always love seeing this, the, this, this, I don't want to say small because that's indicative of like, of, of who they are from a quality and, and, and content perspective, but the literal small YouTubers, the YouTubers who have a small audience who are climbing and digging their claws into me and making exposed pieces and 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 trying to pull me down to their level. Like I have some secrets about the way I make videos and I'm corrupt and I should just shut the fuck up and do what I'm told and oh not God. complain and I'm a big corporate YouTuber now and I'm not a man of the people and it's like – First off, little little guys out there, you do <laughs> not shits. know little shits. You guys do not watch my content. You don't know who I am. If you took maybe a day to watch a few videos, you'd understand exactly where I come from. And second, who gives you the right to judge me? But the reality is they don't give a shit about me. They give a shit about climbing up to the echelon of every other YouTuber, which yeah. means, once again taking the SEO of one already popular YouTuber and versing it against themselves or another YouTuber that shares the equal or more caliber of the presence on the platform. And so it comes back down to if I make a hit piece on Gerard because he was saying he wasn't doing great, I can spin it into a conversation about mental health for YouTube. I can spin it into a conversation about how much money YouTubers really should be making or how, you know, when, uh, when I made my most recent video back in March, which I already regret making because while it was a great outlet to discuss my, my, my demons that are currently going on in my life, um, I, I, I got attacked by so many people that didn't know who I was, who were calling me a pussy, you know, <laughs> saying racist things about me and, 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 yeah. and all this stuff. And it's just like, you guys, it's it's almost like you went to class for social studies and you walked out being like, man, that biology class sucked. And it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, I can't, I can't tell you who I am any more than just watching a simple video. But the reality is, they don't care about the conversations. They don't care about the conversation. They care yeah. about what they think the conversation is and what they want it to be about to then give them the ability to climb up 
and climb and climb. So odd. They they can climb because they can make money doing this stuff. For as much as all video game development has issues as well, and there's been a lot of problems obviously recently um, with abuse allegations and that kind of thing from in terms of like industry events and things that happen there that are, you know, unsolicited and terrible. Um, but in terms of like at the actual work that gets done especially in indie games and and how you are successfully able to make a living or you're able to carry on is that there is the one unwritten rule that everybody abides by which is don't be a dick because it doesn't work nobody will work with you and the way that people survive especially as indie game creators is you contract people out or you work or you get assigned to a publisher and those publishers know who you are because you're a person in the industry. You build up this nice reputation for yourself. You do good work, but you're also a good person to work with. You're going to deliver on deadlines and all this kind of stuff. And it's almost like a very long YouTube collaboration, right? It, you know, it goes on for a year or two years, whatever. But whatever trouble comes out of that development will no doubt be aired out in some way. When, Pete, when six months down the line somebody who worked with somebody who was terrible sees them working with somebody else who they like, they're going to be like, hey, I worked with that person prior and they were fucking terrible. You should know about this. And then all of a sudden, contracts get canceled. This kind of stuff gets added out on Twitter and goes nowhere. It is just constantly... I think it's why the indie game development scene is kind of really supportive for the most part. Is because it just is the way it is. You can't survive if you're a dick, right? You can be antagonistic and you can have your opinions, but if you're generally just a horrible person who's out to drag people down, you're never going to survive, right? And it's weird that YouTube had this time when collaborations were the thing where it would, you know, cross promotions and all that kind of thing felt like that was people being nice to each other and helping each other and out and that kind of thing to then turn into this dramatization of everybody just shitting on everybody to climb the ranks of viewership is really strange and really odd because you feel like how much are you get like especially the small guys like how much is this progressing your channel like what are the minuscule differences compared to if you were a nice guy who made good content and you managed to do it uh, a, a collaboration with Gerard the Completionist, right? I, I don't know. It's so strange to hear that this is what, you know, the future of YouTube looks like right now. But it, it definitely, it's definitely hard to swallow every day because, uh, you know, a lot of ignorant people can just say, I've heard about the algorithm. The algorithm does this. The algorithm is X. The algorithm is Y. Half the battle, there, there, to me, there's three problems here as we transition back to George's question. The three fundamental problems of YouTube is this. One, there's money to be made. Anytime you have money involved, it's going to create a massive gray area of exploitation, of, of abuse, of, of crazy um, people figuring out how to manipulate it to the best they can. You know, everyone, I, 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 I try not to read the a lot of the tin foil hat theories about our current political climate because it's just not for me. But the thing that makes me laugh is everyone who's like YouTube is censoring um, alt-right and alt-left creators because of their views. And it's like, no, YouTube isn't doing that. What they're trying to do is make money. And how they do that is their algorithm is based on ad buys and rat and ad revenue. So if you make a controversial topic like politics, YouTube is not going to promote your content because it's not going to make them money. 
is that censorship to a degree? Yes, but it's not censorship that you, YouTuber who's weaponizing the platform to take advantage of, believes it to be. Which leads to my second problem with the, the platform. Creators weaponizing their audience to get their success to be even higher. How do I go up to the next level? Do I take someone down? Do I make a hit piece? Do I collaborate with someone who's, who has the same mindset? How do I supercharge the, my ability to keep growing? And the reality is, if you, if it, whatever works for you works, keep doing it until it doesn't work anymore and then find the next thing. And that's what these YouTubers have found for themselves is keep going in hard until it stops working. And the third thing that kind of, that's the biggest problem is that there is not enough food to go around for everyone. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources. There's not enough of the ability to actually believe in what YouTube is about. And YouTube is about what? You. Creators. It's about our ability to grow a business, to share what we want to share, to connect with other people. And there's not enough food to go around. So what happens? People riot and get pissed off when there's not enough resources to take care of themselves. And that's what this is, is there's not enough money, there's not enough opportunities, there's not enough of an ability to to foster yourself to grow. And if there isn't that, then what can you do? Patreon, merchandise, Twitch. But how many YouTubers can one person support based off of this problem? When I launched my Patreon, I was one of the first YouTubers out there and I had an insane contract with Patreon that if I did really well, that they were going to support me because they were they were VC funded. Because I did not hit my goals, I lost that contract. Why didn't I hit my goals? Was it because my audience didn't care? Was it because uh, I didn't do it properly? No. I did it very well to the point that creators in my circle started creating Patreon. And so my successful Patreon that was up here dropped down here. And it wasn't because of my content being bad. It wasn't because of I did something wrong or controversial. It was simply because everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs support. And those creators out there were not getting the support. And they saw what I was doing. And they saw what other creators were doing. And they said, I need some of that pie. I need to not go hungry. I need the support of my audience. I'm making a Patreon. So the 300 people who support me now drop down to 150 because they have to go and support the other people. And so we're forced to go off platform to, to then let us create content for the platform. And it's a cyclical cycle that will never end unless YouTube does something about it. And quite frankly, I don't think they will because they're making too much money elsewhere. Way, way back in the good old days, in 2012, or 2011 to 2013, basically, what, before Patreon, but after YouTubers were starting to monetize themselves and start companies and studios, was there enough money going around from ad revenue to support all that? Was Like, like nowadays, you need merchandise or a crowdfunding campaign or something, some other third-party uh, strategy to... to pay the bills but back in 2011 to 2013 before patreon was so popular did you need that was was ad revenue just enough back then honestly it's the same as it was back then but the data is different so in 2011 2013 you had a lot less creators on the platform you had a lot of users who were trying to become creators 
you know, MCNs that were like, do you want to be a Minecraft YouTuber? Uh, follow this Minecraft YouTuber who now has his own MCN. And now there is hundreds and thousands of you young kids who hmm. want to be a Minecraft YouTuber. Was, and it created a it created a problem, which was there's now more content than there is ad buy. Is is it is it a process of there being like more competition nowadays? Just that pie is being divided across more and more slices. Yeah, going back to the saturation thing I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, I don't. It's it's saturation, but not in the same way that you think. It's not that it's not that there's too much content or that there's not enough not enough quality content. The reality is nowadays everything is games as a service, right? It's 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 services in general. It's your Netflix. Oh, so you have to games like, like stick to one game and like be the guy who's like the Destiny Two guy or, or or something like that. Kind of, but to go along with that, the ability to make ad revenue from it is diminished because there's too many creators on the platform. It's not about the fact that there's an oversaturation of game reviewers or let's players or or vloggers or beauty vloggers. It's the overall saturation problem of there are not enough ads for all the creators out there. There are there are YouTube creators. Guys, there are some crazy wormholes that you can go down that you don't know exist about about communities that are fostered, that create content that you would never in a million years think of, but they have hundreds if not millions of subscribers gotta, gotta be and they have passionate fan bases. Yeah. Awesome. It's, not, it's 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 fascinating. And and they they're all YouTubers in their own way, right? There's like there's like no joke, there's like a sleep a sleeping YouTuber community, people who focus on sleeping products to help you do better, and they review mattresses and they review sleeping products. There are so many <laughs> subsidiary communities on YouTube, and all of them are, from for lack of a better word, all of them are substantiary to their communities. They foster and grow and grow, and they do really great. But there's too many communities on the platform, and not enough ads to go on the platform. So in in twenty, let's say 2011, right? If I had a million views. In 2011, if I had a million views, almost all of them would be monetized. If I had 1 million views under my belt, I'd get like oh. 950,000 of them would get guaranteed paid views. It was such a bigger deal back then too. Mm. It was huge. If you were a YouTuber in, in that time and you hit a million views on the video, your video made 1000 to $5,000 depending on CPM. Easy. Nowadays, if you were a YouTuber that hits a million views on the video... That video, if you're lucky, depending on the time of day, depending on your MCNs and your contracts, depending on whether or not there were ads at the time that you made that video, it could it could make $500, it could make $1,000, it could make $20,000, but you have no control or power over that. And so you're taking a crapshoot and hoping that there are enough ads there to support you. And this is a prime example. Everyone, everyone remembers MCNs, right? You remember your machinimas and your makers and your TGSs and all that stuff, right? I'm still signed on to Disney. You're with you're with Maker still? Well, yeah, well, barely. They're, they're not called Maker anymore. They're like Disney Digital, Disney, whatever it is. It, it, the, the name on the check is Disney something or other that basically means Disney's leftover Maker post office. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so... For those of you guys who don't know, how the YouTube model generally works is for every 1,000 views, you get paid out a certain amount. Back in the YouTube days... As Very a, unpredictable small amount. Yes, and that's still the case to this day. Back in the day on YouTube, uh, there was no way for a creator to monetize without the help of an MCN. 
and those contracts were like old school Hollywood contracts. You're talking 50% of your ad revenue gone, 40% of your ad revenue gone. Syndication which is already small, which is very small. You're talking syndication in other countries that you have no choice of. You're talking merchandise opportunities. My first contract with Maker Studios, I shit you not, guys, I signed it because I had no choice. There was no one else who would take a gaming creator on back in the day when the game station first started. It was 60 40. 60% went to the creator, 40 went to the MCN. They got half of your monetization rights for merchandise. So they could just make a shirt without telling me and take half of it. They get half of my monetization rights in other countries. They can just air the completionist in uh, Kazakhstan and they just make money and I don't get half of that. They could literally do whatever they wanted and I just had to be okay with it, right? That's not even talking about the percentage of the percentage of the percentage that comes from ad revenue. If I make a video that gets 10,000 views and the CPM is $10, that means I get $100 on this 10,000 viewed video, hopefully. In 2011 to 2013, what that meant was YouTube takes half of that. So 100 bucks is now 50. Great. MCNs, like Maker Studios, would take another 40%, which means that 50 bucks is no longer 50. It's like 20, it's like $28, $27, something like that. Right. Which is why all the popular YouTube channels have like a very, very saturated upload schedule. Yes. Like, like for any any listeners who don't know, this is why a lot of YouTube upload habits might start making a lot more sense after hearing this. Exactly. So now you made $27 on this YouTube video, right? That's what you got paid. So you have a few options. Wait until the next until ad revenue goes up, aka wait till Q3, Q4, September through through December. Or two the holiday shopping season. Yeah, where all the ad money is being spent. Or two, make as much content as possible to offset your costs, which means you're exhausting yourself. You're putting yourself out there. You're trying to do it. It's why every creator under the sun did a let's play show in 2012, 2013. It's why every. It's why everyone and their mom started a Twitch page in 2015, 2016 because it became unsustainable. Now, YouTube today, the same problems I just described are not really there anymore in terms of overseas merchandising, uh, monetization across across the globe. Those contracts have been beaten to the ground because of the bad doings of things like Machinima and Studio 71 um, and Maker Studios, right? People got wise to it, but it took several years of controversy. It took Defy <laughs> Media closing for people to recognize that this is bad business, but... The model is still the same of CPM. So nowadays, what it looks like is you have a video that comes out and it's 10,000 views. Your CPM is $10 for every 1,000 views, which means you have $100, right? $100 is your base. But out of, that out of the 10,000 views, 3,000 of it is monetized. 7,000 views of that did not get monetized at all. Is it ad blocker? Which means ad blocker. And not enough ads fulfilled for the platform. Wow. Not enough ads fulfilled. What does that mean? Because there's too many people making content online. Oh, no. There's not enough ads to go out there. <laughs> so now... So, so the now, same ad doesn't play for that video for everybody. It's like, depending on the different region, depending on if they've got ad, it, it, it just could be everywhere. Well, let's say you're EA, right? And you have a $1 million ad buy on YouTube. 
that's $1 million worth of ads that are going out there. That means how many views can you purchase for $1 million, for $1 million worth of ad revenue? That's maybe what I want to say half a billion views. So 500 million views, let's say. 500 million views, YouTube does that in, in a second. It's chump change. It does nothing for the platform. What is it, like 28 hours a day are uploaded to YouTube in terms of raw video minutes? Yeah. There's there's such such a deep rabbit hole of problems here, all intersecting with each other to go down. So you take this $30 sum, right? Out of the 7,000 7, views were not monetized, you have 30 bucks. Again, first thing out the gate, you split it in half with YouTube. So now you have $15 great are you with an mzn still because if you are that 15 dollars now looks like 12 now looks like 13 and if your contract's really bad it could be six bucks it could be seven bucks so the only way to actively keep up what you're doing is to create more and more and more which is the mental health problem of all youtubers out there and it's at the end of the day it truly makes us sound like we are in a first world problem of like, woe is me. I'm not working at McDonald's. I'm not working at Starbucks. I'm Get working a real at home. Job. Get a real job. Like, you know, people say that shit because the reality is that they, within a second, would take the same fucking opportunity. Yeah. But the minute yeah. there's no money yeah. there, the minute they're not making the success, they think it's there. You're going back to your job. Do you, do you think so, that the competition over MCN applications in the early 2010s was discouraging the modern late 2010s trend of drama content? Like you, you still had to fill out an application. Like it was kind of like a job to be able to monetize your YouTube channel. And mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what the standards were, but evidently the way the history has gone, that stuff popped up around 2015, right? So... Mm -hmm. There had there had to have been something that that changed. What 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 changed with the monetization math that has shock, misinformation, drama content so much more popular now than in the early two thousand tens? And what what could they have done differently to maybe stop that? Well, so there are a couple of things, right? The, I think the first thing is that you know, I talked about earlier about monetizations um, for YouTubers and such for like the Minecraft community, for example. So, for instance. Um, if you were, I'm, I'm making it up. Let's say I'm Gerard does Minecraft and I'm with an MCN. The idea was, hey, Gerard, you can tell your audience out there to join your MCN and make money on YouTube. You're telling eight to 12 year old children, you too can join in on the American dream of making money <laughs> off Minecraft videos. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> Sephiroth, cross sort of Minecraft dun, fan. Dun, um, so, so the idea is, the idea is, and, and <laughs> the idea is that a, a, an MCN, right, could just find thousands of small children or, or teenagers or YouTube in, inspired people to join their MCN. One of them and will all, be successful, all, right? Like if you, none you, of them, well, it's a win-win for them, right? Yeah, like you just hire if, loads of people. If they're shit, it doesn't matter, right? You get that tiny percentage out of them, but. If Correct. one of them becomes Dan TDM or whatever, you're like, well, there we go. <laughs> exactly. So in 20, 2011 and 2013, that was the big business shift. People were doing that. By 2015, 2016, that model died because it didn't work. And that's what Maker Studios built their foundation on to get purchased by Disney because they were able to tell advertisers and people, look at the amount of views we have. 
but what they didn't realize is that that's built off of penny slots. It's uh, penny views. Like no one cares about that stuff. And so the shift then coming back to shock content came, or rather the rise of shock content came from supercharging those people who were already famous. If you made an ex- expose piece, like if you make an expose piece on a famous YouTuber and it blows up, it's because one, you made a, you made quote unquote a good video, which means that people actually don't like this creator or want to know more about the drama. You reinforced the zeitgeist's opinions. Exactly. Or two, you simply are just taking an uninformed opinion that's a hot take that a lot of people don't really know is true or not based on facts or based on turn of events. So if you are like, you know, uh, you know, is is peanut butter gamer actually allergic to peanut butter? You're questioning the zeitgeist of his fan base against itself. Like is this is ex YouTuber actually a pedophile? Like when you get to that zone of, of questionability, it's not about like I'm not trying to like get controversial in that way, but what you do is that you you question the faith and the foundation yeah. of that YouTuber's credibility, which then makes like every anybody cre- who already had maybe a either average or negative opinion of a certain person, now that opinion is just reinforced by disparaging claims whether they're true, whether they're not true, or whether it's just a gray area of life, because life is complicated. You put that doubt out into the ethos. Mm. You put that nugget of doubt that then spreads. And no matter if it's true or not, people will always have that in their minds. And so what it does is it creates that circle of, well, it worked one time, so I'm going to do it again. It can, and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And it can and be very profitable. And do it again. Yeah, because um, it's like <laughs> you, you you don't have to apply for an MCN anymore. You can get straight red revenue, and then you can also mm-hmm. make thousands upon thousands by going to Patreon. And all of those steps do not filter out that uh, that quality control, the job application process of looking at this person's body of published content and noticing that a lot of it was false hit pieces. And I, I, I feel like not enough of these kinds of conversations have talked about the nasty issues of moderation and uh, regulation that could have prevented this. So uh, what about, what about, hear, hear me out, $10 paywall to upload to YouTube, you pay it one time like the something off of forums. You think, you think that might have fixed it way back a few years ago, five, six years ago? There's a $100 paywall to get onto the App Store. And have you seen how much shit's on the App Store? Okay, maybe not. There's also a $100 fee to get onto Steam. See how much shit is on Steam? I don't know. So that's, you might stop all the kids, but are you going to stop the guys and who are going to build their entire empire over drama? I'm sure the, they can spend the, like a few hundred dollars the, to get. The part, of, part, of the, part of the problem was that these were kids who grew up into adults in this kind of environment and being told what sort of careers and jobs could be profitable for for these teenagers but over it, the next few years. Yeah, You've got to look at it the same way as like Twitch, right? Like if you want to be a streamer, it's easy. Turn up. Well, it's not. you got to buy a PC, you got to buy a microphone, you got to buy a camera, you got to get yourself a Twitch account. Get yourself a PC that can stream and play games at the same time, right? The barrier to entry for something like that is massively high. Yet, how many streamers are there? How many YouTubers are there? It's like, 
I don't think monetization of like entry is a pr- is it's it's almost like video game consoles, right? Like back in the day, mom, can I have a console, right? Like it's like three hundred to four hundred dollars, but you know, Christmas comes around, you get it, and that's it, right? You're done, right? Now, so many kids are inspired to be creators in some way that what they're asking for maybe is. Can I have some money towards a PC or a camera or a microphone and that kind of thing? It, it It's almost like a generational shift in what people want to be doing. Like here in Japan, the number two job for the past five years running that kids in junior high school, when polled, want to be is a YouTuber. That's in Japan. Uh, where like individualism uh, is not really a thing. <laughs> so it's like, imagine what it's like in other countries where everybody has an opinion, everybody has a voice about video games, everybody has an opinion about fucking mattresses, right? It's it's mind-boggling. <laughs> okay. No wonder it's hard, and it's yeah. hard to survive, yeah. and that kind of thing. It's very uh, negative as well, which so, sucks. And so some of the negativity <laughs> is also coming from YouTubers, top earners themselves, who seem to have a little layer of protection here. Like uh, in, in, in terms of big YouTube controversies, there's Logan Paul filming a corpse in Japan and not really getting in a whole lot of trouble about it. There's PewDiePie saying the N-words on streams and not getting a lot of disciplinary actions from YouTube. Now, if YouTube disabled the monetization for these channels or took the offending videos down did like something would that be enough to to stop this well so so to talk about that though yes and no george for both those cases something did happen to those creators right YouTube, quote unquote, they they got slaps on the wrist for what it's worth, yeah, right? I like, don't know YouTube, if that YouTube, counts. It, I, I don't know if it counts, but I mean, it it only it only did it it didn't do any good. What it what it what it showed to people on the platform is you do bad things, you you get you get kind of punished, and the people who are on your side, who are in your audience, are only going to show up in troves. If I came out today, right? And I made a video that called that said YouTube YouTube is not giving me money anymore. And I make this heartwarming speech or really just like honest to god, YouTube stopped paying me. Here's my Patreon and my merch. What does that do to the audience watching who believes in me? I'm signing up. I'm buying merch. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. That happens when a bad creator does bad things because a lot of their audience Wants to believe and support them regardless. Yeah, Some... seen a lot of that in the recent days with abuse allegations as well. Just like if you go into those Twitter threads, it's like, don't worry, we'll keep supporting you anyway. It's like, oh, well, well, some, some, most God. of them. In in that specific case, most of them are pretty bad, right? Like, there's there's no coming back from a lot of it, and a lot, and there's a lot of evidence there. But in most cases, when there is a gray area, when there's no legal precedent, when nothing they did was actually legally wrong, it just what they did was a scummy move, or they mm. got called out for it it lets the creator still keep their connection with their audience. So from there, it just weaponizes and reinforces the idea of, I must support them because the platform betrayed them or their community betrayed them. And without me, there is no them. So I'm going to buy the $45 uh, jacket, the $65... The sponsored uh, item. The sponsored item. I'm the gonna George sign up for sucks. The George sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so so to, to, I guess to, to follow up with that, what do you guys think is the way to 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 bounce back from this? Should we punish the do Hell do yeah. top earners get punished? Hell yeah! Do, do they get trial? Burn it all down! Is it, 
<laughs> Put him on I think tribunal. It's almost the same as the Trump Twitter argument. Maybe right? we should. Should he be deleted? Should he be banned for violating rules? Right. And yes. I think that's the hard stance companies have to take, whether it's inconsequential or it's consequential or whatever. Right. If Twitter just turns up one day and Donald Trump is inciting violence against people, right, and they look hardly at their rules that applies to everybody else, and they just straight up ban him, well. You know, hopefully that sets a precedent for other massive conglomerate com- companies to have a terms of service. And then if people break that terms of service, they get punished as as they should. But we have this, as we have in every instance of life, I think it's like... Oh, yes. The, oh, you know, well, if you read between the lines, maybe what they did, you know, him filming a dead body, this is about... 1.7 billion videos on YouTube with a dead body in it, right? Well, you know, maybe he's not breaking any terms of service in terms of, like, you know, he blurred it out and, uh, like... But the and heat, that's what's going to happen. The heat of the controversy is acts as their punishment to, to some of their to some of their internal employees which I disagree with. I don't think that's mm. the case. Just because, just because Logan Paul got caught filming a dead body doesn't mean that he shouldn't be punished like from like if you set a precedent and it's the same thing with thumbnails right like why why on god's green earth are thumbnails so bad on youtube why it's psychology it's Big psychology eyes shocked facial it's, expressions it's all marketing those it's fucking warped faces drive me insane it's the, the same oh psychology behind fingers, design fingers, and marketing yeah. Fingers, arrows, arrows, circles. They look like cereal boxes. It, and it, it makes right. me, as like a as a man who's about to be 30 in a week's time, <laughs> I right. feel like a child watching somebody who has a thumbnail with that. Yeah. And it's so bad. If you guys ever want to not understand how life works, <laughs> go to the YouTube gaming trending tab. What a sentence. It makes it makes no sense. YouTube gaming trending. If you go right now. I, I'm not even gonna look at it. You guys can look it up. I guarantee you half the thumbnails are Fortnite. And in those ones that are half, there's money dollar signs on them. A lot of them are green or blue colored with arrows pointing things out. And sometimes the YouTuber is shocked and warped in those thumbnails. Almost all of them, almost all of them are the, the same okay. thing freaking I thing. I, I, is Iron Man owns a nightclub, GTA 5 mod. <laughs> I want to ask why Zoomers think it's so funny to stretch things in, in, in Photoshop, like all the freaking time. Okay, I, 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 I've giggled at it every now and again, but I'm scrolling down the YouTube thumbnails that you're mentioning now and this is also a recurring theme like they'll stretch stretch things around in, in photoshop and it's it's hilarious it's the funniest joke in the whole wide world doesn't so, make any sense so obviously we talked a lot about this and you know it's an ongoing issue but in terms of you gerard like you doing this and continue on even you know if nothing changes and that kind of thing do you have an exit strategy or do you do you kind of secretly in the back of your brain wish it all burns to the ground and you can walk away and just be like, man, I don't even have to think about that anymore. Both. Yeah. I want That's it to good. All bur- I, w- I, want <laughs> yeah. All, I want it to all burn down and I also have an exit strategy that I have been working on for the last 18 months. Um, you know, in, in, I've, been, I've been fortunate that 
in the time that I've been doing this that I've made a lot of great friends, true, honest relationships in times where I didn't think that I'd be able to to have anyone believe in me. Um, to have someone like like uh, Terry Farrell from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, to have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, That's who still is mad. the most <laughs> wonderful woman on planet Earth. That woman literally inspires me every day and so and texts me sometimes just to say hello and is so kind and passionate about what I'm doing and wants to help me to say that I'm friends with Cisco who is such a nice <laughs> genuine guy who loves his kids who loves video games who who you know Cisco. Drew Hill I love the mental imagery of the singer songwriter behind the hit famous thong song like bobbing around in a boat with his kids going fishing, smiling and laughing with some apple pie at grandma's. Time to tune into Gerard the Completionist, kids. <laughs> yo, yo, Cisco, Cisco is tight. He's the coolest guy ever. He 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 loves he loves video games and more importantly, he loves YouTube. He watched a lot of it and he and he wants to he supports people and he's really good That's about awesome. who he supports. Um and and genuinely one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. You just, you, you feel his soul in the room when he comes in and, and, uh, shout outs to him and, and the thong song being its 20th anniversary this year. <laughs> oh my God. I feel so fucking old. 20th anniversary of the thong song. Wow. Mark your calendars, kids. Damn. National holiday coming up. But anyways, sorry, just uh, so on the similar thing then, I guess, Matt, like, you know, you were doing it for so long and yeah, in a, you were more of that specific community type. No mentioning the community. I think everybody would well, uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What was um, the transition like from... It was good. ...not doing it anymore? <laughs> what, going away from Guild Wars? It was good. Like, people stayed with me. It was uh, very interesting. I mean, I had a podcast. I had um, Guild Wars 2 news coming out and stuff like that. But I just kind of... I felt like I was stuck doing the same thing and it was the best decision ever to just kind of like break away from that and actually do something I wanted to do instead of just like constantly just like playing the same game and saying the same thing and it's just it kind of gets old and especially it's like I'm not going to be doing this for the rest of my life are you kidding me? No, I want to do something that um, I'm going to push the boundaries oh of myself and try to see if what I can do. You make me panic and talking about that. Uh, it was again. <laughs> so just what? Th- those those make four words. The rest of my life. Ugh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> once once you hit thirty, those words do not mean the same thing they used to because at that point you actually start planning for it. <laughs> Yeah. Like like you realize that oh, that doesn't just mean forever anymore. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I I sometimes miss just like playing some games, but I don't know if I can I can wrap my brain around just like doing what like Gerard does. What Gerard <laughs> does is insane and I I has <laughs> said as much on this show. Yeah. I mean, I I'll, I'll stream. Go ahead, Gerard. I was just going to say, uh, I did not intend to be doing this forever. My goal yeah. was to get out of Dodge as soon as possible. Not because of the people. I love the people. I love my fan base. I'll do anything for anyone. It's not that. It's I 
wanted to direct films in Hollywood. I wanted mm. to produce content. I wanted to be an actor. I, it's like what my passion was. And I did YouTube as a means of getting me to where I wanted to be. And because I got so successful so quickly, but then struggled along the way, I realized that like I built my life around this income. And without this income, I don't have a life. Yeah. So in order to do that, I have to sustain, which means in my business, me specifically, Gerard Khalil, I have to complete a game a week. And when people tell YouTubers, oh, take a break, we'll be here when you're waiting. And it's like, no, you won't. won't. (laughs) You won't be here. And I want to be clear, it's not the viewer's fault. It's not the viewer I'm mad at who's like, we'll be waiting for you. No, you won't. Because by the time I come back, YouTube have told you to watch someone else who will have taken my place, who is better, who is younger, who is Mm. cleaner, who has a better beard, and can do what I do (laughs) ten times better. (laughs) And I have no choice but to keep running on this treadmill until someone pulls me off of it. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, uh, It's so weird because... Like, game dev is just uh, not... I mean, we still have our existential crises of, like, this is going to end at some point for us. Like, making games is a lot of fun, and, you know, there's a lot of burnout and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's not something you ever worry about wanting to leave, necessarily. Um, you worry more that it will end outside of your control. You know, maybe the company you work for implodes, it doesn't sell a good game or whatever. But it is weird, especially, you know, we talk with George every week. Like, <laughs> the George's feelings towards YouTube and as time progresses, get more and more negative. Uh, aged, <laughs> aged, if you will. Yeah, you know, you become <laughs> more, I think it's more okay with the step of just moving on, right? Right. And I don't know <sighs> if that's a bad thing. I feel like <laughs> YouTube is so new that that's never happened, right? Well, no one... But, it, get to a point. But, but the question is, is it still new anymore? What is new? Yeah. Well, if you think like 10 years, right? When you, you started, right? Around about 10 years ago. That's still, what, only four years away from when YouTube had started? So Six. even then... Yeah, so it's like 2006, what, 2005 maybe? You go back to 2010... And, like, we're in a different generation of video right. games and all this kind of stuff. But, like, in terms of, like, people who maybe would have started in 2006 who would still have a career now, which I, you know, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find, that's still only a 14-year career, right? And in your life, a 14-year career is, like, a long stint, but in the grand scheme of what your adult working life is, it's it's maybe a third, or if, if you're lucky. So... Maybe people who have progressed and moved on from YouTube, who were huge creators, has still not happened. Like, let's say retirement or or something like that. Maybe we are getting to that now where people who have been around for 10 years to 15 years are now starting this. Oh, maybe... Yeah, Maybe who's going to be the, the microphone? <laughs> I don't know. Who's, who's going to be the first person to grow old and retire from YouTube, you know? Because PewDiePie is not old yet. I And I don't know if I'm willing to accept an answer until any of them get old, you know. A- a- anyways. Uh, I, I, I always think about the mansion that Captain Sparkles has. Captain. The mansion that he bought. 
those like those three ago. words and strung like together him retiring in that just like ah minecraft <laughs> he has like a little minecraft throne ah <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> all my hard work <laughs> thinking of the captain yes. sparkles mansion evokes a, a shockingly conflicting soup of emotions in my head right now anyways <laughs> anyways speaking of, of moving Don't on minecraft. to things um and and I, I don't even know if I want to because we're an hour and a half into it and this this has been just wonderful so far, but if if you guys are game, I am a little interested in hearing about how Liam Last has uh, been thinking yes. about Last of Us. Please, do I buy this, Liam? Do I do I spend my hard earned cash on this? Very important question. Oh no, that face is not so, telling me. So good I was things. a bit. So I'm never nervous about talking about video games on this podcast, as precedent having you know opinions that people disagree with all the time. And it's weird because I didn't buy The Last of Us Two. I was given it, which sets a different precedent uh, precedent for how I feel about it because I actively wouldn't have bought it. Because I didn't like the first oh, game. Oh, yeah. Another very brave Every take. single issue of why I didn't like the first game is why I think the second game is still just okay. Oh, I was no. hoping they... And I don't... I, so this is the thing. is it's, it's, an on, it's an ongoing opinion because I've played maybe about 10 hours of it. Which is a fair chance. That's a lot. It's about half the game. It's a work day. And I've seen almost everything so this is the thing right i haven't seen the whole story right the story is of course why a lot of people play the last of us and that develops from beginning to end i've seen some very shocking parts and i've seen a lot of the violence and the gratuitous but the one thing i have seen in 10 hours is i've seen every single facet of what the gameplay can throw at me because the last of us has no substance same as the first game it has fucking zero substance if i want mediocre stealth like The Last of Us, I'll go play Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell because it hasn't changed. And the th- that, is, that is my biggest gripe. And this is probably because I am somebody biasedly who thinks video games and story are difficult to mesh, right? If you play an 80-hour RPG, you get attached to those characters, you spend a lot of time, and systemically in your mind, you're developing almost a relationship. But when you play a 10-hour game or a 15-hour game... It's hard for a story at a video game level to grasp you. And The Last of Us is the biggest example of something that reaches like the Hollywood movie levels of of it, right? But if you want that, you can watch a movie. And I don't think video games are ever going to be able to tell those types of stories to the extent that we want them to. And the comparisons between movies and gameplay and games should die because they're so different. Like, the way you interact with the game makes it a completely different experience. For good and bad reasons. Okay? I disagree, man. Okay. You can disagree. That's fine. Is there a lot of ladders in the game? Because I didn't like those in the first one. (laughs) So so one of the big improvements is that Ellie can jump. Right? (gasps) So you can climb things Oh, my God. Innovation. You can move boxes and climb on top of things. So that means there's a little more exploration. But And this is the thing. I don't want to... This is definitely coming from somebody who thinks video games and stories maybe don't match mesh as well as they can, right? Or, or, or as well as they should. And I think a lot of games misprioritize what it's trying to do to the player. It's a video game first. 
That's what video games are, right? Mm -hmm. There are ways we can drive narratives in certain stories if they sacrifice all of the gameplay. Let's think of games like... um, Metro. uh, Metro is a good example of that bullshit. The story and delivery is absolute garbage, but the game is fun. So the game is pretty great, right? But like, if you think of like... um, uh, what remains of Edith Finch or games yeah. similar to that like um, what's uh, uh, the guys who made Tacoma their really popular game Gone Home you know those Full types bright. of games that have a, a, a sort of limited scope but the interactivity is what makes the story special right it's the spice that allows the player to see the intricate mm. details into a story that a movie can't give you right you're, you're involving yourself in a sense of place and that pushes things forward for the player but the problem is when a game tries to be a game and a an, an amazing narrative is that sometimes one has to sacrifice for the other. And The Last of Us does that for me. Because what will happen is you'll see all this technical mastery and it goes all into their narrative. And that's great. But the narrative is then segmented by these hour-long sections of really slow-paced repetitious gameplay which is turn up to a building enter the building hold R1 to see where everybody is because it's a stealth game yet you can see everybody in the room by holding R1 and listening to them or whatever the the passive lore just, is just just squint, squint your ears kids it's immune. Yeah, you know you can you, you crouch down and you can hear everybody and all it is is white blobs for the player right you can hear clickers they have a distinct sound so like if you use something in like in, I know it's really accessible, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just how it affects the affects the game. You can't get around not using it. It's right there on that button, and all of your like improvements that you can level up are to do with stuff like that to make it even better. So you don't even need to stealth around. You just sit against the wall. You hold it down. You see everybody walk past you. Stealth kill each one like as they go past you. So it's very generic in that sort of thing. And then once you've done that. You walk around the building, open all the drawers you can. Some things have something in it. Some things don't have something in it. It almost reminds me of Fallout. When you just walk into buildings in Fallout and you can open everything. They might have something in it. And, and, and then you just walk off to the next place. In regards to the story and narrative, though, are you, are you feeling it? Are you, are you getting the feels, the intense, the, the goosebumps, it's, the emotions? It's, um, it's so well acted. It's so well acted. It, it's a cut above anything you'd ever find in a video game, right? But that not ne- that doesn't necessarily mean the narrative is that interesting. I, I've never actually and like this game, heard that used as a compliment, I, you know, for a video game. It's but that's the problem, right? It, it's like I'm 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 waiting around for these really well acted parts on a narrative that is kind of okay. It's it's one it's it's so far quite one note it's about revenge and just everything you can think in that connotation then tells you the story of the game i feel like that's such a wasted opportunity though how many other video max Payne is about revenge but this is i don't know i feel all three of those games are about revenge (laughs) (laughs) but i feel a lot i feel like in the in the in this sense nobody don't get away with it because the revenge will be very meaningful to people who like the first game right so and that but they do this one thing that i can't talk about without spoiling it that almost takes away from that like i don't know how you're meant to feel the the revenge the game wants you to feel like how it wants you to feel 
angry and like all of these people you're killing is fucking worthwhile when it does one thing that you shouldn't do in games if you're trying to drive a is player that the towards reason, is that the reason why there's a lot of bad user reviews is that whatever that thing is i would say about? the user reviews is two different things it's one people may be angry about what the plot is and why these things are happening and the second one is just the bullshit people who are like social justice warriors huh, lesbians <laughs> i don't like girls in games oh my <laughs> god are right? we Those serious are we still on this oh dude yes. yeah that's that's we what are. happened in 2015 on youtube <laughs> oh but i so I think it's weird because I still think a lot of people will feel the gameplay is passable enough that all it happens is the narrative gets bolstered, right? You you you're doing some pretty good gameplay from place to place. It's 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 just a, an average stealth game, right? There's Dude. the guns don't feel that great. The shooting is a bit odd. Like you can pick up a brick and throw a brick, and it's like I can do that in oh, a lot of other games. I can throw, I can play Metal Gear Solid Five and throw shit to distract people, right? It's, Metal Gear Solid Five was about revenge. <laughs> the less we talk about Metal Gear Solid Five's story, the less uh, the more happy we'll be. You, you know, I, I was actually thinking about Metal Gear Solid because I was actually playing uh, Metro uh, Exodus. And um, it, it, it's a game where, you know, I've played all the other Metro games. You, you kind of have to like the Metro games in order to like the Metro games. You know, mm. it's 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 a certain style. Um, I like because this style, it's buggy. Though. It's, you know, some of the missions are just not polished. You know, you just don't. You don't know where 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 the switch is in this in this huge little area. I think area that's fine. I love slaves. that. Like it's just weird little things all the time. Um, that, that European jank. The, it's ooh. That Euro God, jank. I love Eurojank. That great, that great, <laughs> that fine Eurojank. Metro, both the the two Metro games I played, Last Light and Twenty Thirty Three. They you could smell the environments in those games. Like the amount of work that they put into the opening areas was was on par with so the this, AAA PS4 so, game. So I think this is the thing, and maybe it hints to Matt a little bit, is the problem when you go for hyper-realism and you are like a technical masterpiece, it means when your your failings stand out even more, right? There is like, there's a, there's a, the game does a really smart thing, actually. One thing I do really like, because I'm a nerd about game design, is tutorialization in games is really fucking hard. And... The Last of Us almost, I don't know whether it's a Final Fantasy Tactics advanced callback, but there's a snowball fight to show you the controls for like throwing shit and like aiming and quick throw and stuff. So you meet these kids and you have like a snowball fight before you go out on the first mission. And it's very good tutorialization. You learn to crouch, you're in a playground and you're like hiding behind things. It's really smart. Problem is, as it's ending, this kid's like glitching out into <laughs> the things and like bugs are bugs, right? But in a game that is so hyper-realistic where I'm picking up this condensed snow and I'm throwing the snow and when it hits the kid, it like bursts into snow particles. And, you know, when you scoop it out of the, the snow, it leaves a trail of where your hand's been. That hyper-realism makes the fact that at the end, all I thought about was how this kid who looks super realistic was then like a freak of nature and was glitching out all over the place and was didn't know what its X position was. And it's like... That's all I remember from that part. That was a really good part. And that's all I remember. And there's a lot of that in this game. There's a little bit of like, along with the Whoa, technical mastery. You're talking about Last of Us too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's the tiny bits of polish that are, are maybe not missing, because this game's obviously been combed over with a fine tooth, but stuff that can't 
hold up to the weight. There's no way you can make a game that big and in that scale that constantly holds up. And those parts that don't hold up stick out even more glaringly so, especially if you're... This game's depressing, right? It's brutal and there's nothing fun about it. Yes. It is true. When people say there's not much fun in this game, this game's not fun. And if you play games to have fun and to, to relax or to to you know have some fun you know we were talking about smash brothers right the new announcement being before right you that kind of fun there's no fun here it's no fun it's in depressing. smash brothers it's not which fun. is unless well, when you play great me, right? that's fine <laughs> so you just get trashed yeah. on by your friends every time i come over guy picks cloud and he's just boom 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 i'm like you know what <laughs> when, i'm pretty you know, sure i don't that- feel like playing no more man i'm like already drunk yeah, no. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that most of my Smash Brothers playing in my career has been in a hotel room in which George <laughs> Weedman's been in the back. Just like, why am I in this room half the time? <laughs> I've played Smash with Liam before, and I can confirm that he had fun. <laughs> George doesn't have fun. He's <laughs> I did indeed. I did so, indeed. So Matt, uh, Metro Exodus did review. I don't want to say poorly, but a little uh, inconsistently and jankily on launch. But it seemed like yeah. there were just a lot of technical issues. I'm wondering. A lot. Is, are they still and there? To, still or, to this do we day. have patches, updates? How is it nowadays? But I mean, I'm playing it on the Xbox Pass. It's about to leave, so I don't know. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to catch it. Um, people listening. Oh right, shit! But, I would uh, like to delve into that. Yeah, I've been playing it. And I was like, it, it, and it, it's so addicting, you know, because you get these. You just get a couple guns, and you can just gear up these guns with all the stuff that you find in the world, and it's it's nice. It's satisfying. Oh, you get a suppressor. You get a you get a little uh, a scope. Uh, you get something uh, a barrel that increases the damage, and you can swap it between the weapons, and it's really cool. Um, and I what I was saying was like um, it, it remind uh, I was thinking about Metal Gear. Because there are certain sections where they're like, oh, uh, like your wife is like, Altium, I, I, I wish you were um, a little bit quieter. I'm like, they were shooting at me. What do you expect <laughs> me to do? I'm going to kill them. This is a video game. This is not real life. Like, this is like, if someone's going to kill me, I'm going to kill them. I hate, like, I hate when ga- <laughs> when games do this. Like, they're just like, no, you you should be you should be the kind-hearted man, um, regardless if they would kill you first on site. Like, come on! And they talk about you like at the end of that stage, at the end of that open world. You, he's a monster. Blah, blah, the Last blah, of when Us you're sneaking around the a ship, a lot of that. And it's just like, what are you it, talking about? It does a lot I'm of not like killing you right now. shaming the player. <laughs> it's like shaming the player. Like it does a lot of like, I did my first kill when I was ten. I couldn't believe it. Like, oh my god! And there's a lot of like, oh, dude, you just bow and arrow to dude in the face. You're you're a terrible human being. And it's like you asked me to. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, and I was just like, it, there's no there's no trank there's no trank weapons. You know, like I was thinking about Metal Gear, like how you can have a trank sniper and a trank hand. Like there's ways to feel satisfied by being passive in Metal Gear. Like three was great for that, and it, it's. I was like, okay, I'm. I'm. I was okay with doing that in Metal Gear. I mean, sometimes I shot people, but most of the time I, I was tranking, um, because it was satisfying. 
in this game, it is absolutely not satisfying because it it is it's too janky for that, and it just doesn't. Well, you have to sneak up behind someone and press E over and over and over and over again. It's not. That's not cool. That's not. That's not stealth. You talk about a Last of Us. Play play Metro. <laughs> You'd be like, this is some bare bones bullshit. Yeah. But but do the, do the dogs have names? <laughs> do the bad guys have names? No. They don't have any names. They do in The Last of Us. And does it make you feel sad? <laughs> I was going to say, did you guys get a chance to watch Alana Pierce's video about, yes. about game review scores in yes. The Last of Us? Did, actually. Um, she, she talked about it. There was something in the video, and, and really what she said on Twitter after the fact, that like really opened my mind. And it's just like, she full on pointed out something that was really just, it, it, it resonated with me, and it's that, Game scores and user reviews don't matter. Mm-hmm. People are still going to play the game when it's AAA. <laughs> she 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 had this story about how she saw someone with The Last of Us Two or Last of Us Tattoo, and like asked if they are going to play the game because of the leaks. And the guy was like, "What leaks? You know what I mean? Like the fact that yeah. like most of us are so plugged into this." Yeah feeding tube of news and industry we're in the industry it's completely different right the bubble serves as this protective layer that we forget that we can penetrate through it and that there is another reality of video games out there of people who just don't do this i it's crazy to me because the last time i experienced that i was in college i wasn't thinking about news i was just knowing release dates i was going to gamestop and they were telling me Hey, Rock Band Two's coming out. Go pick it up. And this, I, like, oh, I didn't know that's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like to have that that nuance, to have that like naivety of like, wow, it's just coming. I get a, I get a, in six months. I'm going to play Rock Band Two with my friends. I and to not miss have, that <laughs> right? To not have to like it. be on the on the feeding tube of like, oh, but like, did you hear about the devs of Rock Band Two yeah. and how like they. They employed slaves in Cambodia. You're like, yeah. what? No, I'm not going to buy that game now. Yeah. yeah, all of them. <laughs> like, let me play my game. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, and, and nowadays, it's like you know, people are like, I'm not going to buy The Last of Us Two because of the controversy. And it's like, or you could just pick it up and make the choice for yourself, my dude. Like, it's so easy just to make an informed decision now. Finances aside, if you are like, I'm not going to spend 60 bucks on the game because of my views, that's fine. Yeah. There's no reason to shit on everyone else's feeling about it. Let them enjoy it. Yeah. I like, it, it, I like, that's I like the peace. issue. It's because they like shoot pe- everyone else down because they don't have the money to buy it. This is like, come on, dude. I love come pizza. On. Just because you don't like pizza doesn't mean I have to stop eating pizza. Like, yeah. just, well, watch I'm the fact vegan, that I love the pizza. Don't eat pizza. <laughs> eat healthy. Eat more salads. You know, that whole shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, Calm down. <laughs> I don't think we need our and then, pizza. And I'm talking as a, a guy who's been vegan for for six years. Well, I'm not vegan anymore, but six years. You know, but you like, know, yeah. you know that if you looked too deep into it, you would find out that pizza boxes are being made from like recycled slavery cardboard mined and and. Africa and shipped out for two cents to a supply chain that just will completely separate any kind of humanity or ethics from your buying decision. Everything like that is is, is in our economy. Everything. Anyways. So, like, it's funny because, one, Last of Us 2 is the highest selling boxed physical thing in Europe this year. 
outside oh. of uh, outselling Animal Crossing. We know how well Animal Crossing's done. So that tells you that the landscape of, of people being excited for this game was massive and was never going to change no matter who was screaming about social yeah. justice wires, who was screaming about not liking the story because of the leaks, yeah. blah, 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 blah. People tied to the industry, right? It's very different. Inside, it is interesting because being somebody who's very vocal against crunch because I experienced it when I was on GTA 5, right? This is me trying to change the practices of what happens inside of the studios, not how people consume the games, right? And I think that sometimes gets confused because I was in a Zoom call the other day with some people from the industry and three of them were like, oh, we're going to go leave now. We're playing GTA Online together. Now I was like, God damn, really? Because that's much I have. Because that's what I worked on for fucking four years, right? And it was so almost heartwarming to see, like, even after all this time, you know, the four years of blood, sweat, and tears by me and everybody I worked with still resonates with these guys that <laughs> the PS5 launch thing, the first thing that gets shown is GTA 5, which was stupid, but by the by, <laughs> it's like that Skyrim. these industry guys are still, like, getting a kick out of playing together in a game that I worked, especially because I worked predominantly on the multiplayer, like seeing that is amazing. And I think a lot of people are hopping on about, you know, everything outside of the, uh, the game itself, right? The game is a product and you can have all the criticisms you want about a product because you spend your money on it. And that shouldn't influence how you feel about the game. But things outside of the game, you can still like The Last of Us 2 and still feel that naughty dog abused and exploited its staff. You can entirely do that. And a lot of the naughty dog staff that worked on that game who are tired and glad it's over mm-hmm. will still be happy that you're playing their game. What the hell are they making the game for if if you don't play it? it, it and They need to get paid. <laughs> and also they need to get paid. And bonuses are based on how many games are sold yeah. and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. But... You can, you can, it, life is not black and white, right? And sometimes yeah. it is tough because our industry is very black and white and like it's a, it's a yes or a no answer and you have to either be with a yes or you have to be with a no. And it's funny, it's like Alana said in her video, which is very insightful having done some reviews way in the past. It's so crazy to think like once you've worked like for somebody or done a review, you understand immediately there's no paid reviews, right? And people have opinion. And what she said about writers writing for their peers is so fucking true, right? It's the same as indie game devs don't make indie games necessarily for their audience. They make it to impress everybody they see at events. And they want to push the boundaries of the kind of thing. That's fine. It drives creativity or whatever. Um, But you can form an opinion about things and also still you know, enjoy or be a part of something outside of that as well. And and you can also not like things. Like, I don't really particularly like The Last of Us 2, but I kudos to everybody who worked at Naughty Dog in that shit because I know how hard it is to release a AAA game. So, mm. and it sounds like you went through hell. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you can have both. You can have an opinion and also buy into wanting to enjoy something. It's also Even about it is hard. It's also about being able to read the room of your interests. Like I personally don't like stealth games, right? So when I played Last of Us, the first one, it appealed to me because of its story. But That's stealth, bad. but the stealth stuff was not for me. Yeah. So I know that going into Last of Us 2 that that's going to probably be 
more or less the same, if not improved, hopefully it's my plus or minus things, right? That's like what I know. I, I guess the, the general reaction is like, if I order, we'll go back to the pizza analogy. <laughs> I Slave love pizza. Pep, pepperoni and sausage is my favorite toppings, right? If I order a pizza with anchovies, I'm, I, I shouldn't be surprised that I'm not going to like it. Because I know going in, oh, I don't like anchovies, but I decided to put anchovies on my pizza. I my favorite topping is pepperoni and sausage. So why did I, why did I buy the thing that I didn't want to have? And I think that's what people think games are. Because anchovies that, had a ten out of ten review draw. That's why. Right. It's like well, <laughs> I, I wasn't excited for anchovies, but then I saw my favorite YouTuber eat anchovies on pizza, and now I kind of want to try it. Now and I'm that's super kinda, excited. Don't and I'm super knock excited to give it a shot. It. Like, what was that? Don't knock them till you rock them. Anchovies are. Fun in responsible wrong. quantities. You're wrong, mm. you're yeah. wrong but okay. <laughs> responsible but the idea, quantities. The idea, the 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 idea being like, if you if you're the kind of person that's like, I don't like this thing, you should know your own taste at this point as an informed gamer, right? What you're gonna like. So, if if you know, it, it's a better analogy. I love System of a Down. I love them so much. I love Rage Against the Machine. It's what I grew up on. They're my some of my favorite bands, Foo Fighters. And and when people online Fuck are it. like, "Man, I really wish System of a Down wasn't so political," I'm like, "Are you what kidding? The, f- the DNA, <laughs> the DNA of System of a Down is literal political propaganda problems. Like the entire every album, every song is about how there's a genocide in this country and they're fighting for the rights and they and b- police brutality and all this stuff." And you're like, man, I really wish that System of a Down would just talk about sun, sunshine and, and flowers. And it's like, no, that's what they're known for. It, it wasn't a song about how angry he was that he dropped some makeup off the table. <laughs> <laughs> no matter well, how much he is... wanted to. <laughs> he really, really wanted that makeup, I guess. I never really understood what the lyrics were getting at anyways. I'm sure they were very political. But it's, but I think it's funny because I've done exactly the same thing since these things have been getting around. Like, Rage Against the Machine, when did you get so political? <laughs> like, uh, and System of a Down, right? And I've gone back and I've listened and I've known always that they've been political, but being an adult and listening to the lyrics, like, I was listening to Rage Against the Machine today and the song Wake Up Right, and then Zach De La Rocha at the end is just like screaming, "Wake up, are you!" And as a kid, you're like, "Yeah, cool," but like as an adult, you're like, "Oh damn, oh damn, oh damn." Yeah, you listen to old, you listen to old Eminem albums, and he's like talking about how much he hates George Bush, and you're like, "Yeah, man, president sucks." Nowadays, you're like, "Oh man, sure do hope the president's <laughs> fans don't shoot me for saying the president <laughs> sucks." <laughs> yeah, hey, George, you're talking about chop suey. Is that is that what yeah, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, Chapsui. I think it was I think it was about, about uh his mother getting beaten or Jesus like Christ. That. Yeah, oh, I didn't know. He he says the words really fast, okay? I don't know. Hey, sorry, don't quote <laughs> me on that, but like there was like it was definitely some abuse going on. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like it's crazy. The the song you're like, "Yeah," and then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, "Oh. What's happening here?" I used to rock out to this. Yeah. It's like it's like a, a lot of old music. Let me tell you, I, I think a, it's I think it's ra- it's funny because of the Black Lives Matter stuff, and you know, I went marching yesterday in the Kyoto one, and like there's a song. I think it's Radio Video by System of a Down, and the song is like, um, "What do you think the kids of Tiananmen Square thought? Is it fashion that brought them there? Right?" And you think the idea of like. 
oh, these kids are just joining on the hype and they're, and, 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 you know, they don't really have a message, but they're joining their friends in Tiananmen Square and then all of a sudden hell breaks loose and protesting and all this kind of, and it's interesting to deeply list, like, who the fuck could think these things aren't political? That, that, that was hypnotized. I know that album really well. That was hypnotized, not so radio video. Oh, was it hypnotized? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but still. radio video point, is like point. Danny and Lisa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about radio, tel- radio news station ah, in LA. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I, uh, I love you guys. This has been great. We are just about to hit two hours here. Oh, wow. Yeah. It flew by so fast. Yeah, before you leave, I, I want to hear, like, obviously you play games all the time, dude, but, like, what are you enjoying? Like what? Have you been oh, yeah. something you've been Man. enjoying, <laughs> guys? For the first time in maybe three years, I am enjoying video games again because I'm doing it for me, and it's 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 such a revolutionary feeling. Um, I have been playing a ton of Dead by Daylight, which I don't know if you guys have played that game at all. Solid choice. A lot of people's favorites. That that game, I I love cooperative experiences so much mm-hmm. and i miss i miss when games just like were about yeah. i'm not talking like 5v5 i'm talking about like you and three buddies conquering yeah, yeah, yeah. a thing together I like miss that there's nothing not competitive there's nothing, just there's nothing more fulfilling than to be on comms with your three best buddies and you're just like fuck this killer we're gonna we're gonna outsmart him as a team and like you have strategies and moves and you have perks that just like change the dynamic of the gameplay every <laughs> single round and it's just that's been that's been my my saving grace that's been my cooldown game and then recently my girlfriend and i have been really trying to spend more time together um like spending time together because we we you know she works at ign as a as a graphic artist and i'm working on stuff all the time so when we come home we're both exhausted and tired and really in this case just staying home but we both don't get to really enjoy each other like in our personal hobbies anymore. So uh, she's never played an MMORPG before, oh. and I hate MMORPGs. Oh. So we we both picked up Final Fantasy fourteen online. Yes! And, and, we, and, yes. We both, and we've both been really enjoying it. Yes! Not another one. I love that game. Well, what, what is your choice, Matt? What's your, what's your MMO of choice? No, no, no. I, I, it's no, like no, fucking I've played a story lot of 14. <laughs> Have you gone oh. through the main story? I'm going through it right now. So so the long and short of it is that back in, uh, in 2014, 2015, I got surgery and I was out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so I, I got into it because Heaven's Word is about to come out. So I like really, really, really got into it. And then Heaven's Word came out and I just stopped playing. So now I'm like redoing it all over again. Like to me, I'm not a big... I'm not big on the story, but like the the graphics, the gameplay, the nods, the fun references, the the it's just it's just so fun to enjoy. I just I'm I'm really enjoying it and she's enjoying it, so so we're having a good time. That's awesome. I have yeah. such a soft spot for that game. There's a certain part at the end of the main the main story, the reborn story that you should get to that's like pretty dark. Um, it's probably yeah. like the, the highest moment. Uh, it's something to do with the Sultana. So, okay. uh, and uh, I forgot what the black guy's name is. Um, oh, the uh, the head Ron of the, bla- or the like that. blades, or whatever it's called. Yeah, with the huge guy with yeah. back hair. So yeah. you're gonna notice it when you get to it, because like for some reason, like the story just gets hype. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> like, it's the that, patch. Patch section. stuff. Yeah, yeah I wish the I had stuff. more stuff like that, but. 
That's what got it's me. It's so funny. I went through all of that before they cut the like they trimmed it down because a lot of it's filler shit, and then they, they even did it again because people were still complaining it had loads of filler shit. And I'm like, oh my god, you. There's a lot of well filler, said. man. There's a lot. Yeah. It's because we're playing through the patches, and you have to play through the story yeah. in order to get to the expansions over and over and over. Yeah. Again. So if you're starting yeah. from the beginning, it's very, you have very fun game. Hours. <laughs> very fun. Yeah. yeah. Very I think fun. it took me a hundred hours to get through a realm reborn. I think. To get huh? to Heaven's Ward. It took yeah, me yeah, like a yeah. hundred hours to get to Heaven's Ward, I think. Yeah. Yeah, looking at my looking at my playtime on Steam, I put hundred and thirty five hours oh just to even just to even get to the middle of Heaven's Ward. Jeez. So That's like, like a sandwich for you though, right? Oh, so you already <laughs> passed it. Okay. <laughs> no, Oh, back in the day, I did. This is me doing it for a second time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Holy so, shit! What what is yeah, the man. game wow. you played the most? What what is the 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 game, Gerard? The guy who's played everything, George. Go pee. Okay, I can see. Okay, <laughs> it's so obvious. <laughs> Gerard, what is the game that you have like played the most? Like you play? Like I watched the Persona Five video recently. I was like, oh, fuck no. me, dude! I couldn't do that. I could do that. That was an existential crisis that I'm still. Yeah. I wake up every day. I wake up every day thinking I'm not done with it. Still. Yeah. I sit there and I'm like, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Um, I'm so glad everyone loved that video and was so supportive of it. But like, I still had this inkling of like, I didn't do it right. Like, I got to go back and do it again. You nailed it, um, dude. <laughs> like, I feel so uh, sorry for you. <laughs> um, the game that I have to date, the game that I put most time in has been Hyrule Warriors on the Nintendo Switch. And Interesting. it's not e- it's not even the fact that I like that game that much. It's it's that for the per- for all intents and purposes for New Game Plus, I have to recomplete games that I did for the first 120 games. And one of the last um 20 games I did was on on Hyrule Warriors for the Nintendo Wii U. When the game came out, I put in about I want to say I could be wrong. I think I put about 256 hours in four weeks. That was just me every day grinding it out on top of doing my other responsibilities for the show, which at the time was writing, editing, producing, and playing. So when Hired Warriors Definitive Edition got announced for Nintendo Switch, there was no DLC. When I played it originally, there was no DLC content on the Wii U version. Now that the game's been out for many years, they added a lot of DLC because it's a Warriors game. So there's tons of content in it. I have put at this point in my life at least 900 hours into Hyrule Warriors. <laughs> what? How did the numbers and, go that high? And, oh, and that I, type of game. Oh. And to give you an idea. What? They added six characters to the roster. So there's 26 characters, 24 characters total. They added seven new adventure maps with one or two having hard variants. So it's the same map again, but with hard mode. And they added challenges. So to complete this game, <laughs> you have to get every Skulltula in the, in, the, in the main story, play every level on every difficulty. So, and there's four difficulties on every stage. So there's that. You then have to play adventure mode, which is all of the maps. There's like, I think maybe 14 of them. And all of them have like different things you have to do for each mission to get A rank. You have to get A rank on every single square. And then the last thing, and get every medal, which is the achievements in the game. 
And then the last thing is you have to beat all the challenges. Except here's the problem. There's 26 characters, something like that. Yeah. Every character has its own ranking for those challenges. And there's 28 challenges. So what's 26 times 28? Quick that's math. how... <laughs> that's that's how many challenges that I have to do. Seven hundred twenty-eight. That's <sighs> something like that. So that that's how many challenges I have to do with like every character almost. I don't think it's that many challenges. It might be more like like closer to seventeen or twenty, but still, it's still a, a significant amount. And so um, that's why I haven't done the video yet. It's because I I every character is max level. I've done every map. I've beaten every stage. I've gotten every medal. The only thing I have left is to beat the challenges with every character. And it is exhausting and draining and not fun. And I can't do a co-op. I threw it by myself. And it's just... Oh. It's 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 the most expensive video in terms of man hours I have personally invested in my career. And I no would have quit and, long ago. And <laughs> I, I can will, barely play I, nine hours of a game. I will probably have made one-tenth one-tenth of a penny per hour worked on the video. Of all the games you've played, which one showed up in your sleep the most? Persona 5. <laughs> yeah, because if Persona 5 felt like, you that you know, every waking moment, that mm-hmm. game is there. Like, but you're putting 900 hours into Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, like, you gotta sleep through this stuff. Like, I, I hear... There's Tetris dreams. That's a proven thing, right? Matt and I were talking about how in the Call of Duty Warzone, you hear this drone when you're near yeah. a chest. And, like, I hear that sometimes just throughout the house now. Like I've played so much Warzone. Yeah. yeah. So so what what as someone who plays games for 900 hours or so at a time, I mean, this has got to be happening to you, Gerard. Surely. Surely. Yeah, the... the, the, the what's the game that appears most in my brain? I think it has to be Catherine. Oh, Catherine. that is so <laughs> fascinating. So funny you say that. Yeah. So funny you say that. The game that I would vow, there's only one game I vowed I'd never play again. And it's because I played Catherine from beginning to end in one day, like a, like a 22 hour thing when I was in university. And by the end, I just wanted it to finish so badly, but I refused to go to bed because I was so close. And then as soon as I finished it, I was like, I'm never playing that game ever again. And it gives me nightmares even thinking about being made to play that game specifically again. That game is one of the hardest games ever completed. And in the recent full body ports, they made it even harder, which makes me so sad. Because that's also a game I have to redo. And it's Wait, what? like, so Catherine, in the original build of the game, Holy if, you played, if you played the level on the hardest setting... It gave you a gold ranking on everything. So if you're like, okay, if I beat, if I, it's like playing Mario One One on the hardest level, and then like it gives you credit for doing it on easy, very easy, normal, and hard for like gold A ranking status. Yeah. In in full body, they changed it so that there's easy, normal, hard, remix easy, <laughs> remix normal, remix hard, and none of them carry over, which means you have to play every single stage six times to get a gold ranking on and when i say stage i mean cluster of stages because this game doesn't work in like level one level two it works on like level one one level one two level one three like you have to do all those clusters six times in every individual ranking 
to get a gold ranking. And once you do that, nah. you can then chapter select your way through the entire story. So it's like, this game gave me true anxiety originally, and I only had to do one playthrough on the hardest setting. <laughs> now I have to do every... I have to do every level sectional six times. And the thing hire, I... hire somebody to come in and you'll just watch them. You know, <laughs> just sit back, watch them, and you're like, oh. well, that's why. If I had to change the completionist today to anything, I would make it Game Center CX to like make it truly about me going insane doing this journey. I would love to make the show not about me completing the game because you know I'll do it, but like a pass it. and fail. It's it's more like look, we locked Gerard in a room for seven days straight. He gets to go to the bathroom and sleep every now and then. Watch him punch this wall till it breaks, and <laughs> and uh, the, for, to go along with why is it in my sleep? Because whenever you um, pull out a block and it connects to other blocks, the announcer goes edge, and so whenever you're like building a ladder it just goes edge 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 and so i hear the word edge in my dreams all the time and it'll be dissociated to anything i'll like be having a dream about like my dad and i and i'll just hear the word edge like just go off somewhere and i instantly know like oh there's there's catherine again like that's your your, your dream self is just like yep she's buttoning yeah. again yeah, I, I just, it's, my, it's like my CRT burn image, but it's just a sound. And it's like, I, I adore <laughs> the irony of this game that is very specifically about sleep and nightmares being the one that that permeates yeah. into your sleep. Even, yeah, even me after one playthrough, just from beginning to end, I never, ever wanted to play it ever again. I love Atlas. Never want to play that game ever again. Zero yeah. interest. Take it away. Not not great. <laughs> Gerard, did you yeah. like Kingdom Hearts 3? <laughs> oh, no. Why are you pausing, Gerard? Overall, overall, yes, but, like, the biggest asterisk of all time. I think gameplay-wise, I think, I think graphically, mechanically, how it plays and how it feels, I really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I could not tell you, from a narrative perspective, where I feel. Like I, I've been playing a Kingdom Hearts game on average every six to eighteen months for the show. I got to Kingdom Hearts three, and I was like, "It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't wrap up. It doesn't, it doesn't connect. None of it connects." I like, I wanted to like knock books over and go, "It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It, none of none of it matters." Like, I, I've, I've read books. I've done research on YouTube videos. None of it matters. Like. I, 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 you know, my, my buddy Michael Verity does a series on YouTube called What If Star Wars Episode 1 Was Good? And then he did Episode 2 and Episode 3. I would love to do What If Kingdom Hearts Stories Made Sense? And just actually create a king... Not even, like, re, like not even get rid of things. Just make all the toys that are in this toy box connect and make sense. So you don't need to have done all this extra stuff. I, I am because I am cracking myself up over here, imagining every single Kingdom Hearts game coming with like a bulletin board with newspaper clippings that get strung across the wall with all of these books and old pizza boxes that you scatter across your room to be able to fully understand the Kingdom Hearts story. Yeah. Like Charlie I mean, Day, yeah, just yeah. Like, and all the dots are like <laughs> Disney cartoon characters. I mean. 
Barry tried. <laughs> oh, good friend Barry tried. But yeah, yeah I think it even drove Barry insane. <laughs> Yeah. And then he and came then on during during that during when it uh when Kingdom Hearts three was popping out right or was it after <laughs> around it just after yeah. that, his video had gone yeah you finally get to the <sighs> third Hearts game 3 broke my PS four as well I'll never forgive that game you finally get to the third game and your Kingdom Hearts conspiracy diagram starts like <laughs> falling apart and your eyes pop out it and doesn't you're just make like sense they guys are ripping everything apart the books don't, don't connect I still. I still don't know what is Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> no one does. No one does. But like someone says they it, do, they're it, lying to you. Is they're it trying a to justify place? their sixty dollar purchase? Is it, a, is, it, is it a place? Is it a prison? A mood, it is a man. state. Is it a state of yeah, mind? Is probably. it like? Yeah. Is it a tattoo on Goofy's ass? Like I just want to know. I would go with a tattoo. The, the, the like sure. logo on all the. At the end, it is something dumb like. When you get into like the X on clothing is how you can yeah. track people. That's when you know this shit can go anywhere. <laughs> the Kingdom Hearts logo does look perfectly adaptable to like a good tramp stamp. I want to say that I've seen like it's it's a heart with stripes through it, right? Like I feel like I've seen that on on a couple you know, girl you know what butts. It is to me? Kingdom Kingdom Hearts to video games is like the Fast and the Furious series is to movies, right? Like the first game, the first Given Fast and the Furious movie was about DVD. Like literally <laughs> Fast and the Furious, the first movie was about them bootlegging DVDs. Like that was the first movie. And now like by the end of the movie, The Rock literally is hanging out of a car and push positioning a super missile in the Antarctic and pushing it to slide to then blow up another car. That is what Kingdom Hearts is. Like, that's what it is. Like, we don't know why The Rock has the ability to push the missile, but he does. And break his cast with his biceps. Daddy's coming home. Like, like, come on. Goofy's coming home. I think think you're giving Kingdom Hearts a little bit too much credit because Fast and Furious is actually enjoyable to watch. And Kingdom Hearts... (laughs) Uh, yeah, I've never. Like, I yeah, I hated it so much, and I I don't normally like hate video games. You know, I like it, it, podcasts. You, you have some fun. To it so but much. I as traded well. it in for to GameStop for fifteen dollars of credit. Like I did not care to even have that in my house. I was just like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done. I was so <laughs> disappointed. Like they couldn't even make it like super goofy and like. I don't know, like, there's so no Star Wars in it. No, there's no, they could have went in, in, incredibly crazy with it, but they didn't. It was just a lukewarm tragedy. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it is. It suffered a lot of the same development cycle that something similar to Duke Nukem Forever did, where mm. it was like it got started and got stopped, and it got started and it got stopped, and it got started and it got stopped, and then finally it was like. All right, we're making it, and then they started over because they switched to Unreal, and it's like, why would a Japanese developer switch to Unreal at this point? Like, you have the Crystal's engine. FF, FF Final Fantasy has all, so many engines they've made over the years, yeah. and they're still making games like that. Don't use the American engine that we all know. Like, I can't tell you that Kingdom Hearts Three was made in Unreal. I had no idea. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care because I'm not trying to be like, well, I hope this game has Unreal. Like, I don't. <laughs> I, 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 I just want the game to play and make sense. I think and in that sense, it just shows that pipelines internally was the, 
not that great and not working out that well especially yeah. when they were transferring over to the luminous engine which the rest of the series like ff7 i, I, I love it when you stuff. can tell that a level was made for a different era of technology than the rest of the game like in um <laughs> yeah. hitman blood money you get a lot of that there are giant levels with giant crowds side by side next to very very small cramped levels without any of that technology going on at all yeah. That yeah. They made oh, Mickey. It, since you played the other games, could do you see the trend? Like I don't want to talk about Kingdom Hearts that much, but like <laughs> Mickey, Mickey was like this character, right? Like like this like oh he's the all powerful Keyblade wielder, and then in three he's just like nobody. He's nobody. I'm he's here. Oh, I yeah. showed up. Yeah, that's that's it. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. So many people look like each other. Where's the phones? Everyone's a nobody. Some people are somebodies. I don't know. I don't how, know. How, I don't how know. did we get to Kingdom Hearts here? I, I asked. I asked. Oh, yeah. I asked if of you enjoyed it. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if would we you, have would time you, for a Gerard, question Gerard, now anymore. We, no, we can go into the easiest question, but uh, the one last question I want to ask Gerard is, <laughs> would you rather play 900 hours of Kingdom Hearts 3 or 900 hours of Hyrule Warriors? Probably Kingdom Hearts, right? Probably What's... Kingdom Hearts 3. That's fair. <laughs> Probably Would Kingdom Hearts 3. Do you reckon, though, after 900 hours... You'd finally understand the story. <laughs> I would. You know what? I would. I would make the. I'd make. I'd. I'd. I'd make it understand. I'd make it work. I would like. I'd figure out where Nomura and the team left the gaps and be like, "This is why. This is I, yeah. This is and, the whole. And not only that. Here's how it works. I'd make a video that's literally called. I played the f- opening tutorial section of Kingdom Hearts three three thousand times, and this is what I found out. Yeah. And it's just me talking about the open tutorial level in the Hercules world and how shit still doesn't make sense, but I'd make it make sense. By the time I'm done, I convinced you that, that it works. That's just, what I would just do. Just like all the other Kingdom Hearts YouTubers out there. I've played this game a million times. I've been waiting. This is how it, I can see how the it all connects together. I see the, ma- I see the Matrix now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to their credit, you know, I think... The games make sense because of, of their passion and they make sense of it. But that doesn't mean the general audience can come in and go, oh, this makes sense to me, right? Like when you watch a, some, like a film like Inception, yeah, you basically are taking a very complicated plot and turning it into a very bite-sizable, ingestible type of content to go, oh, I understand that there's several layers of the dream world and it all makes sense. And, and DiCaprio is this kind of character that, that mm. does this. And... Same thing with Persona Five, right? Persona Five is crazy, but like the 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 basic the logistics of it is, you change people's hearts. Yeah, it makes sense. Kingdom Hearts has so many entries and so many pointed issues with it. You can't explain it to the common person. Yeah, you can't just sit there. <laughs> the only game you can do that with is the first game. Only the first game makes yeah. sense. Yeah, the first game makes sense, and and the re- and and. By Kingdom Hearts 2, even when you play Kingdom Hearts 2, you're like, I didn't play Chain of Memories. How does this make sense? How Main character is in a pod? Like, why? The end of the last it, game, it, he was running through a forest. In Chain of Memories, it didn't make sense. And I remember I remember buying it from, uh, from, from was it Best Buy at the time? I was like, oh, man, Kingdom Hearts. 
And he just ends up in the pod. I don't remember how. Like someone puts him yeah. to sleep. Uh, the, the, the girl with the, the white hair. Nominee or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, why though? <laughs> yeah. what do you, I, the thing I, I don't doubt, the thing I don't doubt is Nomura has it all planned out. Like to a T. Because that's what Japanese developers are like. I bet he has it all planned out. And all of the convolution and everything is probably poorly executed combined with him wanting a convoluted story. But I reckon he still knows what he wants to do with I it. want a conversation he, with, with him. I want a conversation with the Liam, team. As some, yeah. Liam, as, as someone who works in Japan and has worked on games, how much of, do you think <laughs> of our misunderstanding of, of Kingdom Hearts comes from... Translation. Like, do you think so? Do you think so funny you say that? Because I think I've mentioned it before. Brian Gray is a good friend of mine, and he's translated every Kingdom Hearts game. And he's the localizer and translator. He's also the uh, localization and translator for Death Stranding. So he is the guy to go to for incredibly complicated things. And the one thing you sort of, I think a lot of people misunderstand about this is they have no creative control, right? They have creative control over maybe the language that's used, but in terms of like, like uh, especially working with Kojima, so strict, like, like he wants to understand exactly what nuance you're writing in English and, and that it matches exactly what his tone is in Japanese. Right. So a lot of this gets vetted and everything, you know, goes through whatever Brian changes. I imagine, I don't know the specific intricate details of how he works, but he's, you know, he's worked on all of them and all that stuff then goes back and then they have to check it. And like, you know, are you sure this is the right thing? We, uh, you know, Nomura doesn't like this and that kind of thing. And then they have to go back to the drawing board and change it. And I imagine there's some stuff that gets lost, but when you're dealing with stuff where clones of characters who look identical or have mm-hmm. very similar ch- like that's all got to come from like the Japanese side that's that's coming from those guys wanting to do this from Nomura wanting things exactly the way Nomura wants it and a lot of the time this is probably a part of what Japanese culture is especially when we have these people in hierarchical structures is you can't sit them down and be like this don't work. <laughs> we need to change this. You have to just do as you're told, and this is how we get in these positions. My heart bleeds and aches for Brian because the amount of responsibility <laughs> that man has is insane. That is, it's it's impossible. It's, it's an impossible impossible task. They, he 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 did his best. They have to re-record the 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 audio, right? When they want to change it. Or is that just... Script? Oh, yeah, and that's the thing is, right? It's like you... It, when, And this is why these things take long. And, you know, obviously being in Japan, we know a lot of the localization groups, right? It's always like... Story gets changed, you got to go back and do VO, right? And then when you do VO, you got to not only do VO in Japanese, and then what, if you're a big budget studio, you got English and French and Japanese and Chinese and Korean and all this. And when you're working in Kingdom Hearts, you got like... What's his name? Haley Joel Osman or whatever, right? This guy's not... I mean, he's not that much in work, right? But I imagine he's still, like, somebody you can't just call up and be like, hey, we need some more, like, Sora lines. And especially if you're working with Disney properties as well, if you've got the guys who are doing the voices of Mickey and Goofy and Donald, they're doing, like, other cartoons and all these things. The scheduling for all this kind of stuff is mad. And for games like this, where the story and the narrative is so extensive, like, for good or for bad, 
uh, it's not exactly easy to just be like, no more wants this change. And you're like, really? We go, you know, we can't change this. And he's like, well, no, the game can't come out unless we do this. And I don't think they had the, the originals for three. I don't think they had the originals for like Hades and stuff. I don't think they had them. Well, Hades is James Wood, and we all know James Wood's a bit of a dick now. Like Trump supporting MAGA. Oh. He, he 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 did do Kingdom Hearts three though. He did. Oh well, there you go. Oh, that's right. I was like, that doesn't sound like him. And I looked at it, and it was him. I was like, ooh. <laughs> Danny DeVito didn't same. do what's his name though, did he? I don't think Danny DeVito. No, did, Danny uh, was not in it. Was <laughs> his name Brutus? No, he he didn't do any of them. He wasn't. He Phil. Was, he, Phil. Phil. Phil 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 didn't have any voice actor in this one because the the actor died in Japan. It's always something, were like, huh? Yeah, they were like, because oh he died, we're just not going to give him a voice. It's like, oh, that's okay. That's bad. It's yeah, it's amazing because then I play something like Final Fantasy VII remake, and that's apart from like being technically flawed and having some bits, it's very cohesive and like. I think makes a lot of sense and you know obviously it had an original source material to drive off of but they cleaned up a lot of it they, they cleaned did. up a lot and, of it and no more is in charge of that right and I feel like I don't know whether you know they had another director he, as well he, he, he's in charge of it but like they had the original producers alongside that too to make sure that like it didn't get too crazy yeah it got the end is is the big question mark that's gonna be on our minds till the next part comes out but the rest of it is like cohesive (laughs) so and this thing is like 15 as well 15 was taken away from Nomura and given to Tabata and it's like ah well I guess you can rope some things away from him but I don't think he'd ever relinquish Kingdom Hearts in any way as much as Kojima wouldn't relinquish anything to do with Death Stranding or anything he's able to control so yeah it's it's an odd business, localization. And the thing is, if things go wrong in English, localizers just get shit, right? Nobody knows. The good parts of Death Stranding that people like, it's all Kojima's genius, right? Always. Is that how it works? The bad parts? Genius. Bad huh? translation. Bad localization. Same with JRPGs. Like, oh, this shit sucks. It's because uh, the, the English translation is not the same as the Japanese. And it's like, well... Some things just don't make sense. You don't live in Japan and understand what they're referencing. Like, nuances of culture have to come across. It's why we have not only translation, which is different to localization. Usually the way it works is you get a spreadsheet with all of the text, send it to a company of people who speak bilingual, and they translate it with no context. Everything gets translated with no context, usually. Especially AAA. Gets translated with no context, and then it comes back to the studio where they have localization, who are playing the game and then they can get the nuances of the context and then they change the language to to uh, you know match or mesh better with that with that, that is, context that, that sounds so exhausting i want to drink after that that sounds <laughs> oh, <yeah>. so <laughs> tiring. tiring those guys have a crazy job and then sometimes it works, right? Like 8-4, who've done Fire Emblem and stuff like that. They did Undertale from English to Japanese. And then it was a absolute smash hit in Japan. Undertale is one of the biggest games in Japan. They did a yeah. great, great job with it. So it can work vice versa as well. I don't know. It's crazy. Well, Georgie, we got a question for us to finish? No, no actually. We're at two and a half hours now. No, let's do it. Bumper. I'm ready. Let's do it. I, we can go bump up. Uh, actually, Gerard, are you sure? Because I know you have meetings after this. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. 
I got, I got, I got like 50 minutes, so I'm good. Okay, cool. Uh, nice. Well, if if you would like to send a question to the Dad and Sons podcast, then send it to the Dad and Sons podcast gmail.com. Or actually just Dad and Sons podcast gmail.com. Um, Jay Lee yeah, no asks us, hey guys, I was having a conversation recently over my first game of Airsoft where I noticed Ooh. that years of playing Call of Duty and other first person shooter titles seem to have given me a better instinct for gun accuracy. <laughs> Is this also awesome? This got me thinking about what other skills I've learned about due to gaming and came up with a few. I was always a good reader and writer at an early age and attribute that to JRPGs being played from the age of five. Driving also felt natural on a first attempt, and I feel like this comes from GTA and other driving <laughs> games, as it allowed me to understand the physics of a moving car and braking distances. And I think I recall George saying he used some gaming knowledge to help navigate during summer travels, but I was wondering what other skills you may have learned or improved upon thanks to gaming. Or mm. or what skills and activities do you feel gaming prepared you for? <laughs> Definitely driving. You Definitely think so? Driving. Because yeah. the the stick is completely different from from a, a, a steering wheel. Yeah, if you if you give a kid oh, a, a controller oh, in GTA, <laughs> they'll drive like a maniac even when they're trying not to. Like it, it is more challenging you, to drive have slowly you ever tried and safely. To play GTA, where you abide by the traffic laws and not run the most mind it's almost impossible, maddening thing. They they jump in front of your car. <laughs> At least the old games they do. They're like, ah! like yo, what are you doing? It's like they expect you to, to run them over. Well, the the oversteering all comes from how a big chunky wheel gives you more, like greater degrees of of control per square inch where. Whereas the little one-inch nub has to have all, all left and right <laughs> motions like on, on it, it's it's a smaller. P it would make sense for you to have more control over a real car. I I feel like playing games when you're young, um, it really opens the brain to like certain concepts that you uh, people who don't play games, yeah, don't uh, they don't have. Yeah, every kid should play SimCity. Yeah, yeah. Or just it's The Sims. Just like the way you have to think of a puzzle in a game and all that. Like it just it 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 breaks you out very early. You know, it, it definitely helped me during school at some point learning things pretty quickly instead of it just being like, uh, what, is, what are they talking about? Yeah, and I've always been a, a big visual learner. So like games came very easy to me, and when whenever whenever I was in uh, science class, stuff was like nothing, you know. Something that something that that I I relate to that uh, I'm very bad at math. Math is my weakest. Yeah. And in order for me to learn how to do math, uh, I had a math tutor who also played games, and the way that he taught me math was we would play StarCraft together. And he would teach me costs of units and how it relates to resources in StarCraft. Whoa. So, I so I would know that like, oh, Zealots are like 50 resources. And if I use one and I have 3,000 minerals, I'll have left over 2,950. But if I buy 10 Zealots, I would know, oh, Zealots, uh, you, you do this. And so that's like... Once we played that together a bunch, he would then like take my math problems and make them word problems for me. And so he'd be like, "The Terran are invading the Zerg, and this Holy on this cow. on this 
on this planet and uh, they need to get back X number here. How, like, you know, but you lost Y, what do you do? And it's like, okay, well, if I buy six fire bats, that equals this amount. And so, like, that's how I was able to learn how to do basic math into more complicated math as I grew what up. What a rad teacher. Yeah, yeah he was really yeah. cool. He was really rad, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever felt that way about games that they've taught me something. Mm. It's all, it's always too unrealistic. I think Tony Hawk's back in the day when I was skateboarding a lot, I would honestly look at the way they move to try and do tricks. But, you know, it's obviously the gravity is broken and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's the only clear cut memory, I think. But I think video games and Gerard's example is like the most perfect thing, right? I don't think I don't think video games can ever, because of by the manner of what they are, teach you specifically education like we think of education. I think George knows a lot about this, having done the Assassin's Creed Odyssey stuff about Greece and about like ancient history and that kind of thing. I think video games can teach you in an abstract way. I was listening to an interesting talk by Soren Johnson, who's the designer. He, he was a designer on Civ and also a designer of a, a new game called Old World. And like he set out originally when he joined the civilization team to be like, I can make this educational. People are going to learn about history. This is my passion, blah, blah, blah. And he very quickly learned that video games just are not the vessel in which you are able to do but that. That's history. A conflict. They help. I feel like though. that's history. That's something completely different. Agreed. But it's still that the, the uh, video games are not the vessel for like um, traditional education but the abstract concept of like why minecraft is so successful yeah give kids resources tell them they only have limited resources and they've got to try and combine that shit to make stuff gives that abstract way of learning about stuff like what gerard was saying right like maximizing or minimizing your efficiency or using your brain to figure out certain logic puzzles and that kind of stuff yeah. games can do that kind of stuff and i think there's a lot of logical thinking in video games to help i don't think there's any one-to-one -one like Jay Lee is saying i think some people might especially if they're visual learners like you met for me who's maybe think who has to ruminate on things i don't think video games in the immediacy uh, mm. in the immediacy of playing them can ever give me that unless it's like in an abstract way when i was a kid i remember not being able to visualize what an economy would look like well until after playing it that playing a few games where those concepts came into play like managing your economy in starcraft feels like such a much more elegant way of conveying that process to a kid than than i i, I guess the alternative would be taking them on a road trip to follow the supply chain where their pencils at school come from like there's a lot of a lot of <laughs> stuff that a kid is not going to think about in their day-to-day -day lives that video games can can still depict it in an interest depict in an interesting way, but I want to call out violence here. <clears throat> See, all right, because Jay Lee framed his question with uh, with an airsoft gun and shooting people with guns, and I always <laughs> I have typically felt like like you know I'm 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 full. Uh, I don't know, Ta Tycho Brahe during the the Jack Thompson hot coffee scandal of 2004. The video games are fine <laughs> and wonderful, and I would not know at all how to commit violence with, with what I have learned from video games up until VR games. 
Like, and now I'm like learning stuff that I don't know if I wanted to learn. And a lot of that has to do with traditional FPS violence that is such a completely different action on a mouse and a keyboard. So like in a VR first person shooter game, you're incentivized to do something called slicing the pie, where you actually, you want to put as much distance between yourself and an open hallway as possible and peek in by leaning one step of the way with, uh, your your head and your arms and the gun all like pointed to to an extreme angle that you can't really recreate with a normal FPS control scheme. And now when I watch movies and I see like like thugs and soldiers and police in movies not doing stuff like that, I'm like, oh no, guys, you're not checking your corners and slicing your pie. <laughs> and I, it's like it's stuff I don't want to know. I don't want to know how to home invade, but now I guess I do. I don't want to know how to pick up a gun and shoot someone, but I guess... Uh, well, the last of us the recoil me and all that that comes with shooting a gun, man, that's, that's different. Well, yeah, but in, in a yeah. VR game, you like you... your shoulder out thinking that you can shoot a gun. You, you, you pull back a slide <laughs> and, and press buttons and stuff. It's totally different from pointing a, and clicking a mouse and pressing a button on a keyboard. It's yeah. like now I at least... I certainly know... I certainly know after Last of Us 2 where to stab somebody in a trachea. That that for sure I know how to do now. Yeah, see, right, like, right wow. like, I don't know if that's the yeah. stuff I wanted Oof, to visible. know. Like, after after looking at a gun and shooting it in VR from several different angles, I now am like, oh, so the slide gets blown back from the explosion, and that pulls a new trigger, a new bullet into the chamber from a spring in the mech. Like, there's stuff about the physics of the device that you can't even experience in a, in a 2D screen that... Uh, yeah. Do you think you could be a good racing driver doing racing games in VR? Uh, only if I had a big steering wheel. I don't. I don't think you can start connecting dots that hard until like the but stuff you don't you're have touching. A gun you just have things in your hand. You have wands that look like guns. It's like holding a TV remote. It's, uh, it's 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 a lot closer to holding a gun than holding a controller. Is yeah. that game where you can play as Batman? Do you think you can be Batman? You've got the skills <laughs> to be Batman now. <laughs> Wow, Liam, you are going off the rails, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could be Batman, but the thing is, I could be like a, a dumbass, and that's what I don't want to be. <laughs> that, that's a fair point. <laughs> but I feel like I already lost that contest here on the Dad and Sons podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Gerard, it's been a pleasure having you. It has you. been. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Big long uh, pleasure. Th- thanks for so uh, thanks for letting me vent. <laughs> no problem. Don't worry, this is therapy. Yeah, hopefully yeah. Let's take care. We we get hopefully real on this podcast it, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, I wasn't too uh, too crazy no. for you guys. No. You were brilliant. No. It was great having. Yeah, you. yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, is, is this where we awkwardly? Ends. It absolutely is.